and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that gets better ratings than Donald Trump on TV. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and I'd just like to say that I cannot wait for that fire-building challenge. Uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and insert weird gif of Nate making odd faces on the jury here. Um, And I'm Paul. I'm creative spatial. I get puzzles. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are on uh, part two of our Cook Islands podcast, the podcast that we didn't want to do, but everyone was waiting for. So here we are in part two, and I will say... Just before we have a lot to get to in this podcast, but well, I just really, want to say we really pigeonholed ourselves by doing part one. Like that—that that was our problem. <laughs> yes, if we could have just jumped in halfway into the season, it would have been better. Because I will say, in Cook Island's defense, I do think the second half is way better than the first. And yeah, I, it was. yeah, and I've said this before that one's opinion of Cook Islands, I think, all comes down to the question: How much do you think the second half makes up for the first half? For me, I don't think it does, but a lot of people think it does. But that's, I think, the fundamental question with Cook Islands. How much, how awesome do you think the second half is? Now, come on. Come on. We were having fun in the first half, right? No. We had, some, we had some taters, some gravy. Yeah. I was having fun. I don't know about you guys. Lots of fun. I just, I just remember most of my contributions was doing Bruce impressions. So I was basically doing an Exile Island podcast. <laughs> That's how excited I was about Cook Islands. I will say this on a rewatch. You are correct. The second half of Cook Islands is better than the first half, and it actually sustains itself okay, which I usually put Cook Islands as my worst favorite, my least favorite Survivor season of all of them, but I may have to do a rethink. I mean, it's still pretty bad. I'm not trying to say that I'm converted or something like that, but you know, with a lot of these earlier seasons, a lot of times it's it's did this half make up for this other half? Did the first half make up for the bad second half? And I feel like with a lot of seasons, you know, a lot of people are like, I like that season. Why? Well, there was this one moment that happened in this one episode. And I'm sitting here going like, so there were 14 episodes of 43 minutes apiece. So that is, you know, 10 plus hours of viewing. And the fact that they saw something that took literally five of the minutes of those 10 hours. And you're like, the season was a success. I feel like that's low standards. And, and the fact that we're talking about having Cook Islands having a solid second half of the season, that's not bad, actually. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. And I know you said at the end of this last podcast, Mario, that you want to, you know, people who genuinely liked Cook Islands to like reach out to us. And I've actually had several conversations with people that said that they love the season. And one of the things kind of going along with what we were saying, Jay, one of the things you talk about is how they say like, oh, yeah, you've got all these, you've got Yule and you've got Oz and you've got Penner and you've got Parvati and Candace. And I'm thinking like, yeah, but on the other hand, you have Cecilia and you have Stephanie and you have, you know, you have Jenny and you have Rebecca. And it's weird thinking about like, just like you said, with the one moment, like you can't love a season just because like, oh, great. There's like half the cast is fine, but the other half is shit. It's like, would you order a meal? Would you eat a burger if you're like, oh, yeah, well, half of it was good. But I guess that makes it my favorite burger then. All right. I um, Something Mike just uh, alluded to. This is going to become very important. This, I'm guessing, will be our most controversial episode of Historians because we have a lot we're going to dump on you here. And it, it might be good information or bad information, kind of depending on how you look at it. But one of the questions we pose at the end of, of part one, and I, as I said, I defy anyone to explain to me how they can enjoy Cook Islands. Right? I defy anyone to explain how the first half is worth watching. And what's the interesting thing about this show is uh, we have a lot of people that listen to this show that are kind of connected to Survivor. They're either players, uh, producers, like editors. So the people that 
are connected to the show. And again, because I say this is this is the one Survivor podcast that kind of digs into stuff behind the scenes that other podcasts don't do just because they don't really have the access to. But we kind of have the access because well, I know our listeners. So basically, I threw out that question. I defy anyone to uh, tell me how they enjoyed Cook Islands. And <laughs> what's funny is someone wrote us an email, someone very connected to the show. I, I can't say who he or she is, but uh, someone that their their uh, credentials are impeccable. This is someone absolutely connected to the show. I do not doubt this story for a second, but we got an email where we challenged someone to explain why, how, why, how you could enjoy Cook Islands. And we got the greatest email and it will completely change everything you've ever known about Cook Islands. And I have to say, this email kind of won me over. They said, after reading, after you, I wrote this email, I have convinced you how you can enjoy Cook Islands, and I have to say they were ab- absolutely right. So I've kind of been teasing it for a while now that we have all this inside information. And I have, I have, uh, I have uh, nominated one of our historians here. There's one historian that people say they wish they hear more of because they don't have a high, ridiculous voice like Mike, me, or Paul, is that people always say, oh, we'd, we'd love to hear more of Jay's sexy baritone voice. So I'm going to turn it over to Jay to read our, our insider email here that will explain to you exactly what happens in Cook Islands and exactly why it is a fun season to watch when you kind of know what's going on. So I will turn it over to Jay, the bearded hat guy. Okay, so this is a dramatic reading of the email that we got. Uh, opinions are of the person that sent the email and all that sort of stuff. All right, here we go. So the email reads like this. In 2005, Mark Burnett came up with the idea of dividing things up by race, but he wanted to do it with The Apprentice. But NBC was not on board with this because they needed The Apprentice desperately. It was their top-rated show by far. NBC had some real problems at the time. They had just lost friends. Thursday nights were imploding. The only other top-20 show they had at the time was something like Law & Order SVU or something like that. So NBC vetoed the idea. Meanwhile, Survivor was still going strong. But CBS wasn't as reliant on it as NBC was about The Apprentice. At the time, CBS was so far ahead of the other networks, thanks to the ubiquitous CSIs, that they were a lot more willing to take a chance. As for Jeff, he agreed to the idea when he was still reaching peak burnout after Guatemala. He was tired of Survivor, tired of the grind. So when he heard the idea, he thought it would be a great way to go out with a bang. Jeff truly thought that this was going to destroy the franchise and he could move on with other opportunities. Hold on, just before you carry on, just just reinforce that one point. This whole idea of having a season based by race for people who kind of missed that. Jeff only did it because he thought this would be his chance to get out of Survivor. It would destroy the franchise. They knew yes. this was a horrible, he, horrible idea. Je- Jeff is the Max Bialystok in this situation, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what a reference. All right. <laughs> so with Jeff and Mark on board and CBS willing to let things go forward, they had to put together a cast. Obviously, it would be mostly recruits. They actually hired more diversity in casting and started trolling really stereotypical places, barrios, salons, jazz clubs, etc. It says, I'm not sure if you'll touch this, but here you go. CBS had one big requirement. They didn't want to see a situation where all the white contestants would make it to the end. It would be the worst possible scenario for them. So while they tried to cast interesting people, this was in the back of their mind. They cast a very wide wide net, and some of the leftovers were put on the Fiji uh, season. Anyway, uh, Jeff was gleeful about this because he thought the Survivor would soon be over and he could conquer showbiz. But once they got out on the island, they realized very quickly that they were screwed. When the African-American tribe lost the first challenge and booted Sekou, they were left with Nate and three women who weren't strong at all. And then Ozzy threw the second challenge, which actually came with a relief to the producers because they were afraid that the first two votes out would be be African-American. 
uh, the worry was that they would get to the merge without any African-American contestants. So they did the tribal swap in episode three. So this is the thing we've talked about before on Hearst Historians. I've heard people back this up before that a lot of times these swaps and things aren't really planned for specific points in the game. They can happen kind of whenever. And that's the thing that the producers have kind of built into the show that think they have the right to kind of alter the game if it's going in a direction they don't head. And I've talked about this many times before in my book and stuff. But here's a one specific example where someone connected to the show actually admits it, that absolutely they were terrified of where it was going. And they did that swap very early on. And this is, again, why this racial twist only lasts two episodes. And this is something people have complained about for years. Why did the twist only last two episodes? And this is why. So, uh, while Jeff was willing to let anything happen, Mark Burnett and the CBS people on site knew they had to scrap uh, the race twist thing immediately or else uh, risk the absolute worst-case scenario of uh, the white contestants doing well. Um, So they mixed things up, and things got even worse. The first seven boots were minorities. At this point, everyone's freaking out, even Jeff at this point. Tucker then went, and production was literally cheering as she walked down the Hall of Shame. Uh... It was just very hopeful in the signs that they were not, you know, this season was going to turn into a cluster. Uh, So production looks at the remaining contestants and realizes that the four remaining white contestants are in the best position. Uh, The people who are in jeopardy, Ozzy, Rebecca, Sundra, they're still screwed. So they decide to shake things up again. They need to get rid of another original Raro contestant. So they do the mutiny. And both of the white contestants step off the mat to rejoin with the other former Raro tribe contestants. (laughs) This is beyond nightmaric. For the first time, the CBS honchos on the site are threatening that this season isn't even going to air. Because now we are really looking at a final five of the original Raro tribe and Nate. (laughs) So they decide to shake things up again. Or or sorry, their best minority characters are now down eight to four. The Duds, Jenny, Rebecca, Brad, all on the dominant tribe. That mutiny now has turned into the absolute worst thing that could have possibly happened. Even Jeff, who was like, screw this season, was now beside himself with worry. This was going to destroy the entire franchise retroactively, or so they thought. Um, Jeff is now thinking that he had just torpedoed his career. So after the mutiny, there was a word challenge that was won by the I-24. Um, there were a bunch of high-level meetings. There was even talk of big producers coming out to fix this. Nothing was off the table. Scrapping the season partway through, paying each contestant a million dollars and making them sign non-disclosures or just riding it to the end, but none of these were really going to work. The only thing that was going to rescue the season was for the I-24 to battle back. It was literally the only scenario that could possibly work, and it did seem viable. Yule was no slouch in challenges, Becky was good at puzzles, and Ozzy was, well, Ozzy. But the worry was that if they lost even one challenge, Ozzy's gone, and the original I-2 tribe is the first one out. So here's where it gets tricky. Um... You know, they say that they'd like to dance up to a line but won't rig a season. But now you have to have a tribe of four get rid of a tribe of eight. So they're pulling out alternate challenges, replacing some of the more physical ones with challenges where you're untying knots and digging for treasure chests. Um, One of the reward challenges was flipped with an immunity challenge at some point. Uh, If you were to ask the producers, they'd say that those challenges would be closer competitively, therefore better TV. But clearly it wasn't their only motivation. Also, a few other things. On the reward challenge where the I-24 went to the village, they were given more food, better food, and I believe were allowed to smuggle food back to camp. So it's not exactly rigging. It was not, they, they looked the other way as uh, one reward turned into multiple meals. Now, fortunately, some of the contestants uh, did the rigged work for them. 
uh, the Brero tribe was so stupid that they had gotten into a cycle where Rebecca had to compete in immunity challenges instead of reward challenges. Yule had the idol and was smart enough to know how to use it. And frankly, the chemistry between Yule, Ozzy, Sundra, and Becky was a stroke of luck. With all that, all the rigging in the world wouldn't have helped. Um, they insist to this day that the bottle twist was what it was, and if I two had lost, the bottle would have sent two of them home. Uh, thinking about it, though, there's probably no way in the world that would have happened. This is my guess. There would have been some sort of kidnapping exile island thing that could have somehow saved the I-24, or at least saved three of them. But they weren't going to send Ozzy and Sundra home. Anyway, got a bit of my he- ahead of myself. After the mutiny, Brad goes home. Producers aren't happy. Then it's clear that Rebecca's going to go next. And then that's when they pull out the bottle twist, ostensibly to get rid of Penner. They vote off Jenny instead. So there's still a lot of concern because the final five of Adam, Parvati, Canis, Pen- Penner, Nate seems more and more likely. Then there's the merge. It's day 24. They're still not sure if this season will ever be seen. And I don't want to take anything away from Yule because he played the idol masterfully and it saved the season. But I know for a fact that Penner and Yule were pulled off for so many interviews, clearly for the producers to plant seeds in both their heads. Now at this point... Jeff's a little more relaxed because the worst case scenario, Yule plays the idol and one of the original rare, or one of the raro people goes home. Um, it was not written into the rules at that point that Yule couldn't hand the idol off, even after the votes were read. So technically, if the vote had landed on Becky, he still could have handed her the idol and they would still all be together. Also, the finagling at final 12, final 11, final 10 now left them with a the screwed up schedule and a weird number of contestants. They had walked, uh, talked about doing a final three at some point, and this seemed like the time to do it. Um, if Cook Islands wasn't shaping up to be such a cluster, we might not have seen the final three come into play this season. Hold on, before you mention that one point, there's one point, there's one point in email that I know Jay's kind of skipping over, but I, I do have to mention it there. Did you see that sentence about Terry? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it basically thrown the email that Terry Dietz likes to take credit for inspiring the producers to do a final three, and he may have a point, but basically the email says, if Cook Islands wasn't shaping up to be such a disaster, we might not have seen the final three in this season. I just wanted to mention that because people will ask. So it says here, back to the final nine. Uh, I'm told there was a silent cheer when the first Rero member voted for Yule, because no matter what, the I-24 was going to stay together. It was just a matter of whether they had the idol or not. I don't remember who voted first, but when Jonathan voted for Nate, it was the first moment in the entire season they felt like they now had a viable story to tell. The I-24 was still together. Jonathan had flipped again, and the Candace Parvey Adam were in trouble. At this point, no one was worried anymore. No one cared in which order. Uh, the original Raros were voted out. In fact, Jonathan was so hated by the rest of his tribe that they would have settled for him to be brought to the end as a goat because the fact was that barring an immunity run by Adam or Candace, the next few votes would be for the original Raros. And the season also had Ozzy. So Jeff uh, explains how giddy they were as the season went down because of the adrenaline of feeling like they had played with fire and had this narrow escape. It's like soldiers who survive a war and cut loose in a bar after a battle. Uh, it says, side note, uh, Jeff would say that in the back of everyone's nine, uh, now that they were worried about the cast they had in place for Fiji, they did some major tweaking when they got home. But that's for next season's podcast. So as the season wound down, they felt like they had dodged a bullet and that this underdog ending of the I-24 would drown out the, the, the race twist. And it largely did. People f- did, really did forget about the racial element because they crafted such a great story of the I-24. Uh, the casual viewer empathized, empathized with the four of them, and that's what production wanted. Uh, although the funny side note, at the finale, Sunder makes a comment like, uh, you know, different color powers or something like that. And the groan went through the production booth, which she said that. Anyway, the adrenaline of the season actually revitalized Jeff, who got back into Survivor because of their narrow escape. They were going, never going to turn Fiji into another racial twist season, uh, even if McNis- Melissa McNulty hadn't quit. Um, 
In fact, the thinking was they weren't going to ever say another word about racial diversity and just portray it as them being, uh, you know, just having a more socially diverse group, which, uh, which is good. So in a way, ridiculous way, Cook Islands brought Jeff Probst back into the survivor fold. Yes, and that's, <laughs> that is a wonderful email. I just, there was a lot of information to take in. We weren't sure how to break that up for you. But yeah, so basically the thing is that, yeah, Jeff wanted out of a survivor. He only signed on to the season because it was going to tank. Like Mike said, just like in the producers, we're going to make a season that's going to flop so bad. He can leave survivor and go do talk shows. And then all of a sudden it got so bad during the season, they had to start fudging it. And they fudged it in a way where they managed to eke out the one storyline that made, made it into an interesting season, which is the comeback of the I-24, which, as Jay said, is the only thing people tend to remember about the season, the I-24. It was such a great story. And again, that's exactly what the producers want because they were so excited they had escaped this disaster that, again, it revitalized Jeff. He got back into Survivor, and he's been gung-ho on Survivor ever since. And wow, that, that email was like 200 times the uh, amount of words Becky got out of her mouth, that mouth <laughs> the whole season. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if this email is correct, I mean, that, that's that's the whole thing is that, you know, it's we're going with the source. And Mario is is saying that this source is credible and all that sort of stuff. And I mean, I, I can't comment on the it's it's an, it's certainly an interesting prospect. It certainly does put a whole bunch of things into perspective. But ultimately, what what I'm reading from this email ultimately is that it just seemed like, you know, the producers didn't want to see a certain scenario in this season. The scenario was playing out, and it seemed like they needed a Hail Mary, and the Hail Mary happened. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, and they talk about you know, the fact that you know, the, what, what they're saying here is that Survivor isn't rigged, and I'm not saying that they rigged it for the I-24. Did they you know, he- try to help out the I-24 as best they can? I mean, the answer is yes, but I don't think that that's necessarily unique to the i24 or anyone in survivor history i feel like if survivor wants to you know look the other way for somebody or some peoples in certain situations i think it's happened it's happened in the past it probably happens now so i really i don't think that there should be a lot of outrage that that comes from an email sort of like this it's just what the email is basically confirming is is that the i24 coming back and beating the dominant tribe was the only thing that was going to save the season and it did and it saved the season yeah. yeah, and again, I was going to say, I think stuff like that happens every season. I don't think this is specific to Cook Islands. I think it only came up because we had challenged someone to explain how you could enjoy the season, and someone explained. I, I have actually a little more to add to that email in a second. But yeah, this, this is not unique to Cook Islands. I, I would say, though, the interesting part is that, as you just said, there, there are situations that have happened in the past, but I feel like we talk a lot about how the Cook Islands, it's an inordinate amount of twists, probably second only to Survivor Cambodia at this point in terms of the amount of new things that just got thrown into the course of the game. I feel like in the past, if you want to, to, to sort of shake things up, you could always do a switch or you know a tried and true Survivor twist. For some reason, and maybe it was because of the situation they put themselves in, the producers felt like they had to throw out a bunch of different things you know we hadn't seen the bottle twist before we hadn't seen the we'd, i mean we've seen the mutiny in thailand and pearl islands but nobody actually took it uh and so i feel like the producers maybe because they they thought they really had to as you said jay throw a hail mary here they had to really come up with a bunch of new things that could radically shake up the game because they could have ostensibly just thrown in another swap in there to maybe save a couple members of i2 but they were so gung-ho about making sure that this nightmare final five didn't happen that they said okay let's just come up let's go back to the chopping block let's create a bunch new bunch more new twists and it turns out that a couple of them ended up saving them 
Yeah. The one thing I think that people really need to take from this email, again, like Jay said, that there's no outrage here. No one should be mad or, or even think this is that shocking. But the one thing, and I've, I've written about this before. If you read my book, I wrote about this all the time, that the main thing when it comes to Survivor is you have to remember it's a TV show before it's anything else. So anything that happens in the game must, must in some way aid or help the TV show. So that was the thing. When they saw where this season was going, that the whites were just going to dominate and blow everyone out. Like, you can't have that in a TV show where you put in a really controversial race twist. So again, the TV show, it, it overrules everything. Everything that happens on Survivor must in, in some way make the TV show better or it will be changed. Because again, at the end of the day, that's all the producers care about. They're selling advertising. They're creating a product. And again, the TV show is the big thing. I think it'd be actually really funny if that nightmare scenario happened and it ended up with like Candace or Adam or Parvati winning. And then like we had like a text scrolling up as it fades to everyone celebrating being like, and so just like in the world today, the whites have dominated the game of Survivor, showing once be, and for all who the dominant ethnicity is. You'd very much be able to use this show in a lot of sociology classes, let me tell you that. I was going to say, going into this podcast, I knew we were going to get in trouble, but I thought it was going to be for making all these offensive racial jokes and racial comments. Now I realize we're going to get in trouble for our argument that the whites got screwed and they should have won. <laughs> So that I finally figured out what our I, I, no, I would never say that the the original Raros didn't get screwed because they got out the original rare Adam and Parvati and and uh, and and Jonathan Benner got outplayed in this game yep. badly. Yes. So I I don't think that I don't think that that's correct at all, and I w- I won't go on record in saying that um, because <laughs> the the original Raro tribe and then the the post swap Raro tribe all committed humongous mistakes all yep. the way through, and so it's it's almost like a textbook. If if anything is you're going to learn from Survivor, it's how not to play when you have an advantage. Yeah, and again, let's not take anything away from Yule, who really played masterfully the second half. Yeah, Yule is absolutely. one of the best players to play this game, and yeah. you know he's on display in in this season. And I mean, the the where we come down on the season, come down on Yule, is the fact that he's not the most gripping television. But if all you're into is just pure gameplay, pure playing Survivor, I, there's very few people that beat Yule. I mean, this is incredible gameplay. Would you call Yule the first quote unquote game bot winner that Survivor has had? No, because I don't think you can win and be a game bot. I think he was very astute in social relations with people. Just my argument is I don't think you can win if you're a game bot. I would say no as well, because Yule had to do a lot of strong arming and a lot of convincing. And, and, and he did play Penner pretty well uh, through some of some of the things. And, and don't forget Becky as well. I know that Becky sort of gets overlooked and, and was a, a punchline in, in Mario's Funny 115. But the combination of Yule and Becky do a very good job in navigating social waters and it's not to me gamebot is just more people just sitting around talking about how to stack up votes which i know is a lot of the game the game is is acquiring votes but you know you all had to do a lot of convincing and and the convincing wasn't just simply math right it wasn't just listen if we do this and we do this and we do this and the votes fall this way i mean you was basically like look i have an idol you don't want to screw with me or oh look we need to get this one person because blah, blah blah and i i see that as less game bodiness and just more Yule is working the system, working the game, working the, yeah. the social angles. He's a politician. 
All right, before we get into the uh, the episode recaps here, I just want to read the very last part of the email, and I'll read this part myself because this is my favorite. This is the part that was in response to us challenging someone to, like what I said, I defy someone to explain how you can enjoy the season. You'll really enjoy this part of the email. He goes, this person wrote, I liked Cook Islands when it aired. I liked it more on a rewatch. Then after learning all this inside information, I watched it a third time and I loved it. Cook Islands is one of my favorites now. Knowing that every step of the way was torturing production in the network, it makes you watch the season totally differently. Watch it from that angle. Just, Just when Cook Islands can't suck anymore from a production standpoint, it does. And the contestants are oblivious. And Candace is stepping off the mat and winking at Adam. And production is literally trying not to scream out loud. And then Penner is talking about getting the Caucasians back together. And Les Moonves is on the phone with producers having high-level discussions about how to fix this. And people are yelling and scheming, and everyone's upset. And Jeff Probe's career is flashing before his eyes. And they're imagining the NAACP picketing the finale. And it's just such a cluster. And meanwhile, the American public is saying, oh, I really like that Yule fellow. It makes the entire season epic and wonderful. And I'm going to watch it again just because it's so delicious. And anyway, that is my justification for loving the season, and I am 100% right. And there you go. That is the argument. I can, I can respect that argument. If you absolutely watch Cook Island from that perspective, which I'm going to do the next time I am forced to watch Cook Island, <laughs> I will watch it from that perspective. So someone answered our question. I appreciate it, and thank you for all the inside information. We, we really appreciated it. I mean, I just watch it for Flickr, so in about five minutes, I'm going to be checked out for the rest of the podcast, so... <laughs> Everyone has their reasons, I guess. It's a sick world, Paul. Well, Paul, I'm sort of checked out as it is. So that leaves Mario and Mike. Uh, you know, take it from here, guys. All right, All right let's, carry, let's carry this load. All right, let's go, champ. Break out that Adam impression. Oh, okay, flying like a turkey, round eagles, boss. Oh, pound it! Yeah! All right, so here we go. We're in episode eight, right after the recap. By the uh, way, Mike, Cal- our, dueling, our, our dueling Adam impersonations is probably my favorite thing in life. <laughs> I, I, not, not to disparage Paul or Mario, but I do agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> but hey, yes, uh, a cowboy has just been voted out. Nate has been kidnapped by the Big Bad Raros, I believe. Yes. Well, by, 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 by the, yeah, by the I-2s. Yes, okay. Yes, that's right. Sorry, I'm getting my tribes mixed up. So here we go. And I must admit, we, it's been a while since we've watched the season, so we're kind of fuzzy on the details. So we're just going to kind of wing it here, which is an excellent way to approach Cook Islands. So anyway, yeah, I2 is kidnapped Nate. He's at their camp now, and we go back and... Wait, no, no, no. Didn't we, didn't we have Christina get voted out last time because we talked about Jenny's vote? Yeah, Christina got voted out as well, but this is the first... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the yeah, the, the first section here is going to be focused on... Nate at I2, which is uh, understandably awkward, specifically when Flicka decides to... She was left out. Uh, she tried to join in on Plan Voodoo last episode, and she was on the outs, and her, probably her closest ally, we're not sure at this point, Cowboy, got voted out, and she decides to vent her frustrations to the tribe right in front of Nate. What a great player. Really <laughs> top, really great A. That's, that's, not, that's, some, that's some good awareness there, Lou. She's, pro- she's probably playing as well as the horse Flicka would play on the, the season at this point. Probably worse. All right, so we jump right into the reward challenge in this episode, which is the one where they go through a catalog and they get to pick the items. Yeah, so this is the thing. Okay, so this is a little bit of a diatribe, so I apologize about this, but I, I know when we do rewatches, one of the things you can glean from it is that there are probably some survivor villains or characters that at the time in your first watch you absolutely hated. And then looking back, you probably see, oh, you know, my hate was probably 
uh, not in a great place. I'm looking at like Amy from Vanuatu or Jerry. Uh, Gene. Or Gene uh, in, in one historian's case. No. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the Raros were a big example of that in my opinion. Uh, but going into this batch of episodes, I still despise this group of people because uh, they are personified for the next for the next half of the season as the whiniest, stuck up uh, group of brats that they are. Uh, with basically like Penner is the only like old man voice of reason here, and we get it here where Brad's saying like everyone's like, "Oh no, we want bread and peanut butter so we can have peanut butter sandwiches," and Brad's like, "You realize we're in a wet." like open environment this bread's gonna be gone in like three days it's gonna be moldy but they're over he's overpowered by the idea of just having peanut butter sandwiches for half a week i have to say parvati gets us a fantastic edit starting around here too she gets the lazy spoiled brat edit yeah i mean uh you know it, it it always sometimes i always wonder what what it would be like if we didn't have returnee seasons um a for my sanity, but also for uh, just just for the the sense of you play the game your first time, and you know, hey, I get it. The edit can sometimes murder somebody for no real reason, and and, and you know that's not necessarily the coolest. But the thing is, is that Parvati has sort of emerged with her three times played the game. I mean, I you know Jeff Probst did a did a powwow, you know of 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 winners and stuff like that uh, a couple seasons ago. And it was this really awkward televised thing. And the four people that were uh, at this, at this little summit that he had where he was talking about the state of survivor and things like that was John Cochran, which, uh, and then he had Sandra and you're like, okay, Sandra, that, that works. And he had Rob Sesternino that was like, okay, Rob Sesternino, you know, a uh, great, great player, never to win, you know, podcast empire, all that stuff. And he had poverty. Parvati does stuff in the media, does stuff for the Survivor pregames, things to go out there. Like, Parvati is one of the faces of the franchise now, which is really odd when you look at her first season here in Cook Islands. Yeah, she gets a horrible edit. It's horrific. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we'll get to, yeah, we'll get to more Parvati bashing in a second for those of you who are looking forward to that. <laughs> Although I should point out, this is the episode, I think, where Jeff starts saying poverty. I did notice it when I was rewatching. Oh, he said it before this, hasn't yeah, he? He said it before. Oh, but this, yeah. This challenge was very poverty heavy. A lot, a lot of poverty action going on. Yeah. Well, I mean, between uh, you know, since the challenge is all about hitting boxes. I'm not surprised that Parvati and Ozzy are the two <laughs> big stars here. <laughs> Wait, I hope not everyone got that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anyway, yeah, this is the challenge where they have to swim out and smash the tiles and and build a word puzzle. And this is the one where. Uh, I think it was alluded to in our email where they got Raro got stuck in a stupid pattern where Rebecca kept having to do this. And this is the one where she totally blows this, right? For Raro. Mm-hmm. She walks out of the water like a zombie. It's like the most <laughs> bizarre thing ever. And her top's like pulled up and they're like, girl, pull your top down. And she's just like walking like a zombie along the beach. <laughs> this is the start of the great two episode arc of Rebecca sucks at challenges, apparently. <laughs> Yeah, I will say in watching this episode, this was kind of an exciting episode. This challenge and the next one were both pretty good. So my opinion of Cook Island starts to get a little better here. And this is this is a fun challenge where basically Ozzy is a swimming god and just dominates everyone. Also, we learn that Rebecca is a contestant on Survivor Cook Islands. (laughs) (laughs) And she also was a makeup artist at The View. Did you know that? No, 
Because <laughs> after she gets voted off, she gets to go guest host on The View, and it's the most boring hour of television. You thought it was bad on the show? Try to have her be a bubbly co-host on The View. Paul, was, oh, it, more, was it more boring than the dump you last took? Uh, very similar to a Cecilia, about the same level. Could you imagine they had like Survivor Cook Island's takeover on The View, and it's like a panel of Rebecca, Cecilia, Stephanie, and Becky. And they're just, oh, they're just sitting around talking about topics. Imagine, but then... Because she was, uh, she was one of the um, makeup artists, I think, for Joy Behar on the show. So they brought her on the show after she got voted off and stuff. And then she said about how she's this big Dancing with the Stars fan. And that's like her next big goal is Dancing with the Stars, okay? I kid you not. Their response is, oh, yeah, you could do makeup for that show. Oh. And, they, and she's like, no, I want to be on it. Like, uh, okay, we'll be right back. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Rebecca could do a really great thriller dance if her challenge performance is any indication here. <laughs> Maybe that was an audition for that. Yeah, this Look, is why we have Paul on the show for our The View trivia. <laughs> right. Yeah. First of I'll all, that was know. that was that was a lot of information about The View. Second of all, I mean, I know that Dancing with the Stars is like still one of the highest rated uh, reality television shows that's on there now. But like, don't they have like Vine stars? Like, is is People that are contestants on the show, I feel like Rebecca from Survivor Cook Islands could probably go on. <laughs> Zing. Yes. One bit of uh, interesting trivia about this challenge. There's a scene where, where Becky's doing the puzzle. She's looking for a puzzle piece with Jonathan. And she jumps and laughs and smiles. And I've never seen Becky do those things before. So if you're looking for Becky Lee trivia, watch this challenge. This is the one where she jumps and laughs and smiles. Are we sure the cowboy win didn't like eke one more ounce of happiness out of Becky before leaving her? <clears throat> I don't know. Okay, so I2 wins the challenge because of Ozzy and because basically Rebecca sucks on Raro. And so Ozzy, where uh, I2 wins and they send Adam to exile, which is a shame. We lose some Adam fun time. Man. <laughs> it's where his great quote comes from, though, right? Go to exile, uh, bro! This is the eagle and turkey uh, a quote. I like birds, boss. Every time, every time. Bird, pretty birdies. I just want to eat that bird. I just want to, I just want to pound it, bro. <laughs> All right, so we go back to Raro, and this is the one where Rebecca shouldn't have been out there swimming. Brad should have been swimming, and it's this, it's this whole big thing with Brad and Rebecca, where, uh, yeah, they're all mad at Brad because he wimped out, and and Jenny wants to punch him in the mouth. So we have basically this is the storyline of uninteresting characters fighting with one another, where we don't care. I think they say Re- Rebecca's cashed, and it just shows her like 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 a, like a corpse lying on the on the raft. Mm-hmm. Are we Which sure Rebecca be- didn't didn't drown in the ocean? And they're just they have a corpse on the beach named Rebecca now. Is it is one of the players on Survivor? Well, let me ask you this question: Was there a heart drawn around it? <laughs> and then they rolled her back out to sea. <laughs> was, she, was she one of the floating buoys that they used in the challenge next episode? <laughs> Well, this whole season is weekend at Bernie's now. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, a buoy would have more personality than her. Let's be kind. <laughs> All right. How dare you? That woman was on The View, you cad. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, so, we, have, we have more important things to get to. Ozzy killed a bird. Yeah, this is where we're just going to start uh, worshipping Ozzy for the next 10 minutes. He kills a bird. This is where he climbs trees. He gets coconuts. Even Candace says he's an amazing. He's amazing. And Ewell says he's impressive. And I think this is where we get a little subplot here where Ozzy is actually so impressive, they're worried they might have to start getting rid of him soon because he might be a little too good. I mean, I will say this. Uh, Ozzy gets a lot of flack for 
Well, a lot of things. Uh, I, I, I think that that's fair. And, and the thing is, is that Ozzy, as far as, you know, actually, I, I don't even know if Ozzy understands to this day the rules of Survivor and really how, how a lot of the game is played. But, you know, we talked about Bobby John in, in, in previous episodes. And Welsa, that man could survive on an island. He could do some work. And, and that, is, that is the case. But the thing is, is that I think Ozzy is the evolution of Bobby John. <laughs> like, if you want somebody on the island to, A, be a tribe mate as far as challenges go, but, B, survive on the island, would you, would you pick anyone other than Ozzy in the history of the show? Jeff Probst said would say Parvati. I am asking you, would you pick anyone but Ozzy? No, no. Ozzy would be number one. I mean, this guy, I mean, here's the thing. They're all talking about how he's amazing, and I know that we sort of get a lot of nauseous talk this season in Cook Islands about just, oh, Ozzy this and oh, Ozzy that. But it's like they brought the dude back for a a returnee season, and then they brought him back for what? A season with what? Him and Coach coming (laughs) back? Yeah, Survivor South Pacific, a.k.a. Ozzy and Coach win this season. Yeah, a natural rivalry. Yeah, the natural rivalry of <laughs> Ozzy versus Coach. Mm, man, that's riveting. But they bring Ozzy back for these things, and, and it's not – I feel like this is – they bring people back for most of the time. I mean, not all the time. Most of the time, they bring people back because there's a reason why. You know, why have they brought Rupert back four times? Because Rupert's popular with a lot of people that, that go with Survivor. I don't know who those people are, but he is. He tests well. And Ozzy is, like, amazing at the island element of Survivor. He really is. So when you're watching him do these things, I think that a lot of times people just go, oh, well, Ozzy. But it's like, no, Ozzy, this is awesome stuff. Yeah. And you also, also to tie in the email that we got, like, this big I2 comeback, a lot of it was fueled by Ozzy being so amazing at challenges. He fueled a lot of the season. So I think in the back of their heads, the producers are very appreciative of Ozzy, and they feel like that they owe him because he kind of saved the season. So... There's a lot of this, lot to be said for why Ozzy's been so popular over the years, and I would just back up what Jay says that you know he kind of earns it. Ozzy's good. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough because you sort of have to break things down, right? Because a lot of times people try to just say, "All right, brass tacks, what is Survivor?" Right, and it's it's like you try to answer that question, but the question's complicated because there's so many facets into Survivor. I understand that at the end of the day, the game is get people that you voted out to vote you a million dollars. And you do that usually by being nice, by, you know, or, or being the lesser of two evils, basically making enough social bonds with people so that they actually want to voluntarily vote you a million dollars. But you have to get there. And getting there is winning a challenge, is forming alliances, voting people out. And not only that, but having the strength to do so while you are starving and trying to live on an island for 39 days. And Ozzy makes a lot of that easier because he is so naturally good at challenges and just living out there like you know even in the first couple episodes that we've already covered in part one he was catching chickens with the net he was just coming up with all this sort of stuff like ozzy knows what he's doing and you know i think that people sort of look at ozzy as like ah, oh, yeah he's this guy and did did he get voted into that hall of fame that survivor hall of fame I oh he, he did. did yeah but, he but did. It, literally, it literally happened Ugh. like the winter like a month after he uh south lost south pacific but yeah. became the fan favorite for the yeah, second yeah. time in his career but here's the here's the thing is that I mean that that's Survivor Hall of Fame, haha. We've talked about it a lot, and there are people like the fact that Jerry Manthe's still not in that Survivor Hall of Fame is like just criminal. But I would I would support Ozzy being in there because I think that 
his just what he brings to the season, what he brings to the island every time that's out there, I think is totally worth it. It's also interesting because the past few seasons of Survivor, we've seen that in terms of our final twos, in terms of the editing, I mean, we talked about how we've seen glimpses in things like Katie from Palau and Danielle from Exile Island. But pretty much going into that final tribal council, you're, pr- you're kind of going to know who wins. Even in a season like Guatemala, when it was pretty much how Stephanie lost, we knew who was going to win and who was going to lose. This is really the first season in a long time where, as you said, Mario, in the beginning of our first podcast, maybe since Tina versus Colby, where like this decision was really up in the air between the yeah. two. And I think the edit lends a lot of credit to that by really showing how much prowess Ozzy has at the physical portion of the game, which complements Yule's strategic scenes that we'll see over the next several batch of episodes. Yeah, it's probably, in my opinion, the most interesting of the final I know it's a final three, but I always call it the final two. Of all the final two showdowns, Ozzy versus Ewell, I still say, is probably the most interesting along with side Tina and Colby because there's, they're just completely different styles of play, and it's really which one do you think this particular jury prefers. And in this one, they obviously preferred social, but Ozzy easily could have won. I mean, all he needed to do is flip one vote, and he wins over Ewell. Yeah. I'm with you. I think that Colby, Tina, and Ozzy Ewell are probably the, uh, they're the vote ones. I mean, yeah. the, the final twos, I think that's, that's fair. All right, so we get to the immunity challenges episode. This is the one where you're supposed to zip line down and put your butt up in the camera as full as possible. I think. Oh, my God. Can we talk about Nate's face when he does this? Uh, <laughs> he has the most stank face, and I love it because he is just pure determination. But it comes out with his position that he's going to splatter diarrhea all over the course. Yeah, for those of you who haven't seen this in a while, it's the one where they zip line down. You have to zip line down to a little perch at the end, and if your legs are touch are hanging straight down, you'll hit the water and you'll slow down. So Ozzy, of course, is the one who figures out how to break this challenge, because Ozzy always does that. That he puts his legs up as high as possible, pointing his ass directly hole first at the camera, and then Nate does it as well. So yes, it's <laughs> Yes, this is the Ozzy and Nate ass pointing challenge. And it's it's again in keeping with this episode, this is a good episode. I will give Cook Islands its credit where it deserves it. But the last challenge was exciting, and this is a really exciting challenge. It comes right down to the wire. And it's funny, after the whole Ozzy is amazing, Ozzy is the greatest ever, that Raro pulls out a surprise win here. <laughs> I just kind of forgot that when I watched this challenge. That Raro wins, and Ozzy's tribe actually loses. Yeah, this is going to be the last good moment that Jenny has on Survivor, where she basically <laughs> wins this puzzle for Raro. That's right. All right, so yeah, so uh, Jenny wins it for Raro, and uh, so I2 is going to be going to Tribal Council, and the question is, are they going to vote out Ozzy, Flicka, or Penner? Because those are the outcasts, uh, Flicka and Penner, and then uh, Ozzy, because he's getting a little too dangerous, and you will start to worry about him. You're starting to worry about him, but, you know, Ozzy is the, is the super, deli- like, uh, the distract vote here. It really is sort of coming down to, is it going to be Penner, or is it going to be... Flicka, and if you're paying attention to the edit, what was the first thing we saw this episode? No one was paying that close of attention, Jay. Yeah, I was uh, going to say, no one was watching, Jay. You better help do, you, do, you, do you not? Oh, my God. We just, we just talked about how Nate was watching Flicka just go off on her tribe. and you Yes, know, of course. Self-destructing. Uh, from no, no, according to my episode. notes, Nate got kidnapped by the Raros. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> all right. I think you're reading someone else's notes. We, we are... <laughs> We are just all <laughs> way excited for this season. So anyway, <laughs> Ozzy is the super distract vote. We really get Ozzy is amazing. It's going to be, you know, is it Flicka or is it Penner? But seeing as we saw Flicka basically break down and destroy herself, 
And she's the mosquito that won't die. <laughs> Paul has so much rage all of a sudden. That's well, what the, Cedric the, calls the, her. Yeah, that's what Cedric calls her. Oh, that boy. bubbly personality called the other bubbly personality a mosquito. <laughs> Wasn't that bubbly and fun? Let's put them both on The View with Rebecca. <laughs> Paul, could you tell us what happened on The View last week? <laughs> no, I can't actually. I don't follow anymore. But um, let's get to this travel council because <laughs> I actually have some more bubbly um, what happens on the early show following Flicka's boot, which is way more exciting than anything that happens on the actual show. Then let's, let's, let's just out. cut to that. Yeah. Yeah, Flicka gets out 6-1. Okay, Go, Paul. So, but it's like the most awkward like exchange between Flicka and Renee Seiler, who's one of the co-hosts at the time of the early oh show. Oh, my God. Just, what? <laughs> How do you remember that? Of course, I was. I was. Why did you really... reveal the name of the source on our email, Paul? <laughs> <laughs> oh, our email was from Renee Seiler. Uh, well, Renee Seiler starts off the interview and says, "Can I call you Flicka?" And Flicka says, "Yes, you can." And they kind of have this weird going back and forth. And you know, she asks, well, "Why did she get? Why she got voted off and stuff?" And Flicka just says she had more fun than everyone else. And then uh, they don't really know what else to talk about. So then Renee Seiler says, "You have quite the look." And uh, then Flicka, when they're trying to cut off, cut her off, uh, she goes on a rant, plugging her website and talks about how you're going to see her face more. And she also offers um, to do any stilt walking or fire dancing for you if you contact her. Oh um, my god! And then they, had, they then they still didn't have enough time, so they threw in a secret scene. In this secret scene, Jonathan talks about voting out Flicka. Um, so yeah, that was it. Paul, you've been to her website, right? What's on her website? <laughs> I actually, I actually haven't looked it up here. I, I have no interest in stilt walking or fire dancing from Flicka. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that Flicka combines the talents of both Tammy Leitner and Courtney Merritt into one human being. <laughs> yeah. What are the odds you get firewalkers on back-to-back challenges? Yeah. Or um, seasons. Yeah. If I'm paying for a fire dancer, you better believe it's going to be Courtney Merritt over um, Flicka. I don't know. It depends on what their prices would be. All right, so we're going to get to episode nine. Do you have any more Flicka trivia for us, Paul? That is more than you need to know about No more, fl- no more Flicka facts? <laughs> no. <laughs> Hashtag no Flicka facts? I am going to defend not Flicka, but I'm going to defend uh, anyone that, if you get the chance to catch roller derby in your area, roller derby really is awesome, by the I way. You were gonna, I, I thought you were going to defend Renee Seiler. <laughs> no. She is our source. We have to defend her. <laughs> <laughs> I am <laughs> no, but uh, you know that that was the thing is that you know Flicko was a is is a roller derby player and and so like that. I haven't seen her, but um, I think roller derby is super fun. If you could ever get uh, get a chance to see it, it's it's a fun thing to watch. That's Absolutely. it. Move on. All right. Anybody working on a Renee Siler impression? I just have to make sure because I'm working on one. <laughs> give us, give us your, give it, give us it, Mario. I'd love to hear. It. Is it going to sound, like, an, it sound like an Bruce? interesting look? Yeah, no, it's not Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> no, it more is last night on Survivor Cook Islands. Flicka, I don't know something like that. May I call you Flicka? Yes, <laughs> may you I may. call you Flicka? <laughs> yes, you may. That's you funny. have, you have quite the look. Paul's impression is way better. Let's throw Renee Siler on the View too. What do you think? <laughs> Oh, she could do the makeup. I'm yeah, sure. Taylor can do the makeup for Rebecca. <laughs> All right. Sorry, Renee. I know Renee's a big listener. We, we apologize for uh, insulting you. Love you, Renee. <laughs> Hashtag flick of facts. 
All right, so we go to episode nine, and this is a big one. This is the mutiny. This is when everyone says they love Cook Islands. It's because of this episode to the end. So uh, well, here we go. We will try to judge this fairly to say if Cook Islands is actually a good season. Cook Islands <clears throat> has a lot of it's, – it's something that early seasons do that you know, they don't do – they try not to do as much. I feel like modern seasons – and, and I, I'm not saying this is an either good or bad, but I feel like sometimes it leads to more bad than good, and that's – they really don't want you to know who's going home for the most part in modern seasons. You know, they just, they just leave everything sort of ambiguous. They sort of tell a nebulous story and then, you know, cause they want, they, they want to use hashtag blindside at the very end and, you know, have the, Oh, I'm totally shocked. This person's going home. Whereas in a lot of the earlier seasons, usually the first 10 minutes or so at some point you can get a good grip of who's going home later in the episode. And that's Okay. And, and, you know, sometimes you forget about it and sometimes other things happen, but they at least give you a precursor very early as to this person probably is not going to have the best of episodes today. So just, you know, get that going. And I, and I don't I don't necessarily see an issue with that. And I, I find that sometimes that honest storytelling can sort of clarify a narrative as opposed to just creating something nebulous and just going, oh, this person went home. It's shocking. And so. with this mutiny episode at the beginning we have you know just this confessional from brad i mean you know this is this is brad just being fed up with the game and everything around him and you know basically now we see we saw flicka self-destruct at the beginning of last episode now we're watching brad self-destruct a little bit keep that in mind kids may come in handy later on in this episode yep and this goes go ahead i'm just gonna say this is yet another scene of uh whitey's being pissed at somebody and that person's Brad, who after you know after not swimming, he's he's on thin ice. But this time, I guess he just makes an offhanded comment of, "Oh, it's every man for himself," and everyone just goes to town about that comment. Uh, I feel like uh, specifically on these scenes, it's like Nate and Parvati are usually the two big mouthpieces as to complaining about somebody saying something offhand. Uh, and in this case, it's Brad just saying one little thing about because there are twelve people, and I think it's been like almost twenty-one days at this point, so they're expecting some sort of merge. Uh, and so Brad just makes a comment about how, like, oh, it might be, it'll become an individual game, and then that just sets everyone else off. This, but that's the first non-potato comment that sets him off. Because first, what sets him off is with Stephanie and the potatoes and gravy comment. Then the next time, Brad wants potatoes over the bread, and that set them off. This is the first non-potato comment that really sets off Parvati and Nate. Survivor Cook Islands colon race wars colon potatoes colon flick effects. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, you mentioned Nate and Parvati there. I just want to throw something out there that I've heard a rumor that they were like a couple during the season and they were trying to get a showman's to get on TV. Have you guys heard that rumor before? Yes, well, because what, what the thing was was going into the season, Jeff Probst talked about how, oh, the season's going to have three showmances. He hyped that up a lot. And one of the, the three that he was always talking about was this Nate and Parvati. And he even mentions at the reunion show that, well, they actually you know, that, that it seemed to be, they seemed to be more of a couple on the Island than they were um, in the actual game. And then of course the other two he's alluding to are um, Candace and Adam. And then he talks about one of them being a very bizarre showman, being the Billy and Candace um, situation as well. But Uh. yeah, he admitted that out there on the, on the Island, they seem more of a couple than they were um, on the show. This episode leads right into what the email was talking about the whole mutiny and how the producers were freaking out because 
what happens at the start of this episode is we get Jonathan and Candace talking about, you know, we're on the wrong side of the alliance on this tribe. It's basically 6-6. Six, six. There's six Rero's, six I-2s, and Jonathan and Candace don't like the six that they're in. And they start talking right now, we need to get back with Adam and Parvati, and this is where Jonathan drops the term that the email alluded to, that we need to get the four Caucasians back together, which is <laughs> not what the producers want to hear. And this sets up this entire thing right here that that Candace and Jonathan know they're going to flop, and this is where it comes because we're about to get to the reward challenge where the mutiny is offered to them. Have you guys heard the rumor that apparently it was not only a Caucasians alliance, but also a Caucasians and African Americans alliance, and that apparently Sundro was supposed to step off as well, but didn't after yes. Jonathan did it at the last second? I heard that yeah. Sundro was supposed to stop, uh, step off too. Because conversations had happened when Nate had switched over bet- uh, among Nate... Sandra, Candace, and and Jonathan, that there had been some discussions going on there once once uh, Nate had to switch over to the other side. Hmm. Interesting. All right, there's another flip. Mario Mario cares so much. I care. It's interesting. I I am in favor of knowledge. All right, so we're getting to the we get to the reward challenge. I don't care that much. So we get to the reward challenge. And yeah, it's six to six, and Jeff says, okay, before we do the reward, I'm going to give you this offer, this mutiny. If you want to switch tribes, I'll give you 10 seconds to decide. And this is where Candace steps off first, and then Jonathan. And just like that, the I-2-4 are now screwed. Because now it's Ewell, Ozzy, Becky, and Sundra against eight people. And this is, again, this is the season officially kind of starts right here. I would say what people remember Cook Island starts right here. Yeah. All right, you so know, yeah, we get, well, there's there's lots of there's lots of things that go in into this as well because I've heard as well, and uh, I'm just going to give a, a, a shout out to a, a friend of mine and, and and blogger Sarah Freeman. She wrote an email just to me defending the season because it's one of her favorite seasons, and you know it was her email's good. Uh, it, it didn't ultimately make me like the season anymore, but it's it had a lot of information on the season because there's a lot of just interviews and things you can glean to really research into a season more than just the uh you know 13 or so hours that that the survivor provides us and one of them is is basically that is that Sundra was going to uh, step off and go with Adam or go with uh, Candace and and uh and Penner to go there but decides not to at the last second and apparently you know we the the beginning of this episode was Brad being so upset at everyone in his tribe and stuff like that. And so you're sitting there going like, well, why didn't Brad mutiny even? And the thing is, is that, you know, apparently Brad thought, you know, in interviews that he had a secure alliance with Adam, Nate and Parvati. And, you know, and since Jonathan and Candace are coming over and they're, you know, tight with, uh, you know, Adam and Nate and Parvati, he thought, you know, well, at least I'm secure for a little bit because I got a bunch of people over here. So like, there's just all this sort of fake outs going. And I mean, you could really dissect this, but, uh, I think that what you're saying, Mario, is correct, is that Penner and Candace step off the mat, they mutiny, which was, I remember just being absolutely just gobsmacked at the time watching this. Like, someone actually mutinied? Like, we've seen this in, in previous seasons, and it just seems like a dumb thing. And I'm like, oh, they're trotting out the mutiny thing again. Let's watch this get shot down. And then people actually mutinied. And I was just like, I, I just didn't even know what to think at that point other than, Oh my God! Those poor four people on i two. Yeah, and I mean the i two definitely provides some great sound bites here, specifically with Ozzy, who sort of personifies this whole like he takes the mutiny thing to heart. And you know, obviously Yule has probably a harder exterior, but Ozzy's like, you know, he's visibly pissed. He's like, "You're going to get karmic retribution." And this is the challenge where at the end he 
gets in their faces and he says, mutineers are the first to die. So I feel like uh, this twist really got some great TV out of a general concept, but specifically out of Ozzy. I feel like he brought a lot of lot to the table in terms of like if he's doing an acting job, uh, he does a great job of acting angry at what the mutiny did to him. It's all that porn acting, the character acting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he can, yeah, he can play anything. <laughs> well, I think Ozzy is, for the most part, I mean, Ozzy's not, for lack of a better word, Ozzy's not a game bot, right? Like Ozzy, I, I don't know if Ozzy entirely knows all the rules of Survivor and things like that, but Ozzy sort of gets the idea of I'm going to have an alliance or, or, a, or a core group of people and I am going to be loyal to them, right? And if, you, if you're not loyal to me, then I don't really care. I mean, you saw it on, on the original I2 Tribe where they threw the challenge to get rid of Billy because he didn't like Billy and he wanted Billy out. Billy was not his in, in his core group of people that he defended. And it's like, I think that he was bonding with a bunch of people over there on I2. And then when Penner and Candace step off, I mean, you know, that's a very bonding moment. I mean, I, I think that out of a lot of things, it's like, I think those I2 four who had already formed some bonds. I mean, obviously Yule and Becky are close and, you know, they had a working relationship with Ozzy. And, you know, Sundra was nice with people, but I think Sundra had alliances with, uh, with people that were on the other tribe. But at this point, you've got the four of you. You, you sort of instantly bond over this sort of uh, calamity that has happened to you. And that's, I mean, that's another reason why you never take the mutiny, even if it's, I, it, just, it just always seems like a dumb thing that they, that they throw in there that seems like this gigantic red herring. And Jonathan and Candace took it, and it's like, oh my goodness, why? And to be fair, I'm not sure Jonathan was going to take it until Candace kind of forced his hand, I think. Yeah, well, it's interesting dynamic there as well, because you see, actually, before we get to the Everyone Hates Brad storyline, Candace and Jonathan are talking, and Jonathan's like, okay, you just want to reaffirm our final four, and then Candace on her own is saying, you know, I just want to get with Adam and Parvati. I don't give a shit about Jonathan. <laughs> it seems like there definitely is that sort of cool kids click, and Jonathan is the kid who thinks they're part of the cool kid but is actually kind of like sitting on the very edge of the lunch table thinking that they're a part of the gang yeah he's at the kids table also i want to point out here i know that we're dragging this on and i and i bring it up but another thing that was a, a good thing from sarah's email that that she pointed to me was uh and something i didn't even think about at the time and i didn't really put much thought into because lol cook islands but one of the reasons why uh, the, the other reasons why penner and candace stepped off the mat not only to try to uh, solidify with uh, their original railroad tribe, but also they thought that Adam had the hidden immunity idol. Mm. Right, and and I think and Adam did a lot to lead people on to make people believe that he did have it, and that comes up later after the merge too. That he was really trying to make made people think he did have the idol. Because uh, look at look at my pocket, boss. It's got like a bump in it. Because <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> but like. It, you think about you think about the thing. I mean, Adam's been to Exile Island a lot, right? And I think Candace has been at this point, hasn't she? She's been once. She's sure going to go a lot soon, though. Yeah, I know. But uh, I, has Penner been? Uh, Penner went. So Penner like was the first one to yeah, go. Yeah, Penner. Yeah, Penner was the first one to go, and then Yule went second and found the idol, and. Then Candace went once, and and Adam went a bunch of times, and it's like Penner talked about his clue on the island. I think Candace talked about their clue, and I think they basically concluded that there was no way Yule was going to find the hidden immunity idol with just the two clues. So they were like, they, I think, you know, they were out there and they were like, well, I think the item, idol's been found, and they were basically like, the only person that logically could have found it if it wasn't us was Adam. So they were like, 
not only do we want to realign with our original rare tribe, but they were like, we want to get close with the person who has the hidden immunity idol, which they believed to be Adam. Yeah, definitely make add some complexity to the whole thing. That's it. <clears throat> Let's keep going. All right, yeah, we'll keep going here. So, yeah, we get to the reward challenge. This is the one where they put you in barrels and they roll you into stuff, which looks incredibly painful. This, this I just wrote in my notes. This challenge hurts. Yeah. Yeah, and this is interesting as well because I feel like the producers kind of had to do a little bit of a retcon here because now we're basically doing a redux of the like end of the pre-merge in Marquesas slash what Ula, what you know happens in Palau where oh crap the one tribe is twice the size of the of another tribe how are we going to make this happen so they make you know I'm assuming that they had I know you said before in the email that they like switched a reward challenge and immunity challenge clearly it wasn't this one as mm-hmm. the the barrels were already out but it's very clear that a challenge that was originally going to run six now they only now they removed two people, and now it's it's a little paltry to see only four people run a challenge now for the next two episodes. Yeah. Yep, and so I, too, wins this one easy. And like you said, this is where Ozzy flips out and starts screaming at the Raros. You know, mutineers are the first people to die. And so I, too, wins. I get to send someone to Exile Island. And this is something I should have made fun of more in the Funny 115, but it's amazing how quickly Candace is picked to, to go to Exile Island. I think she will be the next 17 times or something else. I'm just kidding. But yeah, it's like... Candace will be going to Exile Island a lot starting now. Which which makes it even worse when Candace comes back for Blood versus Water. Uh-huh. And like they immediately just vote her to to out of the game and into a Redemption, Redemption. Island. I mean she's just like, "Oh, <laughs> this looks familiar." <laughs> What's that over there? An island? Okay, we're sending Candace there. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so I2 wins, they send Candace to Exile Island, and they get a really cool reward because when they get a coffee breakfast, they get all the letters and pictures from home. I love uh, also the fact that so they get a lot of pictures from home, but we don't see any photos of Ozzy, presumably because they'd all be blurred out by CBS. Yeah, they're, they're all pixelated in Japan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and this is my hentai, uh, and this is... <laughs> say, how did, how did tentacles come into this? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, we get some great shots of Yule with his big dork glasses. And then Sundra gets a good character push here. This is It's nice we actually kind of get... Sundra starts to get a little bit of a character here and... But again, again, this- we get we get some pictures of Becky that we assume she's doing some nonprofit work in, but we're not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> and that and Yule just makes a final two with her right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we 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 get pictures of, of Becky doing nonprofit, and Yule's like, I trust this picture. <laughs> picture, we're going. I have the idol picture. I just want to <laughs> let you know that piano music plays in the background. And the picture is that's like so awesome. that is awesome. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that's so great. I'm so happy for you. Now, I know they said, did they get food at this challenge or, or reward, or was it just uh, coffee? I forget. It, I mean, it was breakfast. And, you know, okay. and, 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 you know, carbs. Okay, because I know in the, in, the, in the email we got from our mystery source, who we'll call R. Siler, um, <laughs> they, said, they said that I, too, started to get more food than they normally would have got, because that was one of the things the producers were kind of do to make sure they had a lot of strength. So this is one of the times they might have been able to do that. To, they might have been, let them slip food back to the, to the camp and stuff. But yeah, this is just this, some of the things that the email was talking about. All right, so I2 gets their nice little moment where they all get to bond, and now it's the four of them against the world, which will basically be the rest of the season here. And now we go over to Raro, and Penner is pissed. He's mad at Candace, because Candace has forced his hand. Now he's stuck over here. They all hate Penner. Nate's like, who is this idiot that switched over here? We already hated him. Now he's here. Like, Does he think he's going to get past the first vote? So Penner is kind of screwed again. I believe Nate says, Jonathan must be smoking some good stuff if he thinks he's going to roll up in our crib and start stirring waters. <laughs> This this starts the 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 arc that Penner's going to have for the rest of his time, which is nobody likes Penner. 
Yes. <laughs> we love Penner because, you know, Penner's a, a great narrator at the game. But, I mean, w- within the game of Survivor, it's going to be rough sailing for Penner from here on out. And this is not the first time that he's literally be con- going to be confronted by an entire tribe that's going to be like, what the hell, man? Yeah, it'd be great if we could do Penner impressions. I'm just pointing that out. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, it's we interesting don't. though because like i mean jonathan's gonna bring this up in his in his uh final words about like how he like how everyone's kind of almost playing a hypocritical game in that he becomes a basically from here on out he's gonna become a scapegoat where everyone's like you lied and you cheated and you you're you know basically you're you're the we're all fantastic faultless people and you're the one that's been the the smudge on this game when it turns out that like everyone's you know it's the survivor everyone's deceiving each other but penner just becomes the big target that everyone just starts firing their shots at yep which is ironic because we're about to go to a challenge where penner is firing shots at something i love this challenge i don't know (laughs) why i just do by the way before we get to the challenge i i just have to say that right before the challenge this is where penner proposes the final four alliance to uh, adam the uh four caucasians we're gonna go to the end so that's it it does come up right here <clears throat> All right, now we go to the challenge. As Jay was saying, one of his favorites. Well, it's not my one of my favorites, but it's good. I, I, it's got good visuals and whatnot. And hey, anytime you can use a glass bottom boat, you got to right. Absolutely. Yeah, even if it fucks things up for people. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's the whole you know water and refraction, but you know we won't get into that. But yeah, so this is the challenge for people who don't remember where they're going around on glass bottom boats trying to drop cannonballs and hit targets. They have to kind of look down a target, look down little crosshairs, drop a cannonball and try to hit the target. And it's a really fun challenge. It's a good one. It's, a, it's exciting. And of course, Ewell figures out a hack. Ewell figures out they can just look down the cannonball shoot and that's more accurate than the, tar- than the crosshairs. Yeah, but the, I think the crowning achievement of this challenge, though, comes in the exchange between Jeff and Jonathan and them actually getting on film what probably however many survivor contestants up to this point have wanted to say to jeff probst yeah yeah this is one i had on the funny 115 it's a legitimate fun funny cook islands moment where uh yeah where uh probst is just narrating the challenge and penner gets annoyed and and so probst actually works in that penner is getting annoyed him into the narration where he says jonathan getting frustrated by me (laughs) it's just a great little fourth wall moment i've always loved it it's just it's just a cute little moment so yeah so yeah, Rero's trying their best. Penner gets frustrated, and, and I2 wins because Yule figures out a hack, of course. And I2 has won their first challenge over the big, bad, eight-person Rero tribe. So well, Rero's second, going to... Second, second, technically, but first immunity challenge. First immunity, yeah, first immunity challenge, I mean, yeah. So, yeah, so uh, we're going to tribal council for Rero, and everyone thinks it's going to be, in the words of Nate, Jonathan, a.k.a. Lord knows what he's thinking, knucklehead. Or, as yep. Candace says, Mr. Man, a.k.a. Jonathan. Or, as Nate says, otherwise, uh, I forget, he calls it, like, Jonathan has, like, 15 names in this episode. Well, one of them's poop, because they're going to chop them up like poop, and I believe, I believe Jonathan would be the poop in that sentence if you diagrammed no, it. No, I, I think Brad is the poop. Brad is the poop? Yeah, so this, this is oh, the... No, no, so, it is. No, he's yeah. talking to Brad about chopping up the poop. You're right, he's also poop. Yeah, exactly, Jonathan's poop. So, there, so Nate's like, okay, so we're actually going to blindside Brad here because him and Adam talk and they come up with the logic here of like, well, Jonathan will never leap back to the I2s. Ha ha, let's see what happens two episodes from now. But Brad could possibly join up with them. So let's vote out Brad. But Nate decides to put on his best Denzel and decides to, uh, and apparently the, he does a little bit of improv here where he affirms his loyalty by Brad, to Brad by saying that we're going to stick together like a family and chop him up like poop. Yes. 
Oh, I should point out that Jenny also says we can kick them off like zits. So there's poop imagery and zit imagery. I mean, I don't know why they didn't use the word Cecilia when, like, it's right there in front of them. Like, chop them <laughs> I, up I, I like did, Cecilia. They all, they all forgot Cecilia was a contestant at this season, by the <laughs> Yeah, it was too forgettable even for them. <laughs> so, yes, we're about to come to the big moment that everyone remembers from Cook Islands. The, the where were you when this happened? The blind side of Brad. <laughs> the, the, the day the potatoes died. <laughs> yes. yes, I didn't even remember Brad got blindsided until I watched the season. But yeah, Brad gets totally blindsided here, and Nate and Jenny laughed they're because Raro is evil. That's the thing. Now we're going to build this up. So yeah, so we lose Brad, who really touches the season not in any way. Bubbly Brad. Brad was a contestant on Survivor Cook Islands. Well, I think that the major shock here actually isn't the fact. I actually like this because so Brad's blindsided. But then everyone else is blindsided when Jeff admits that Brad is going to be the first member of the jury. And this is yet another twist that's thrown in. We're going to have a nine-person jury. Uh, and for the first time since Thailand, it's going to include people who did not make the merge. So they never would have met the other, some of the people in the other tribe. Yeah, and that's the big problem with this. Because at least, at least say what you want <laughs> but, about the... But, the, but, the but, go ahead, Paul. You have these personalities of Rebecca and Jenny and Brad. How do you not put them on the jury? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good his point early, out. his early show segment was so boring i could hardly get through the three and a half minute segment well he didn't have a look to him <laughs> any renee seiler highlights uh well it was, harry smith did this one renee seiler was um she was put out by the flicko they're like nope i don't have to do the next survivor this cast is horrible don't make me do it <laughs> so they made harry smith do it um, I can't remember what he asked. It was so boring. But they threw a secret. I, I wrote down here that they had a secret scene of uh, Brad throwing a machete up to Jonathan. He was Jonathan was up in a tree and needed the machete, and uh, Brad threw him a machete. And was Jonathan mad about this? There was no reaction to it. <laughs> that was the secret scene. I just want to point out this is what a Cook Islands podcast does to you. We're talking about a secret scene where nothing happens. Yes. <laughs> Although I'm wondering, so that means Harry Smith had more seniority than Renee Seiler, or she had more than him because she could opt out of the interviews. That's, we're going to uh, learn a lot about the early show on this podcast. I, I think they had four uh, four co-hosts at this time, so they, they rotated. So only one had do had the misery of doing a Cook Islands interview at once a month. So come, come for the come for the Survivor history talk. Stay for the extended historia on the early show in the beginning of the 2000s. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. We're going to get an email with all this insider stuff about the early show now. It's going to be great. All right. So we lose Brad. It's now seven against four, seven Raros against four I2s. And we're going into episode 10, which is the controversial bottle twist episode. And Jay, this, so this is what you were talking about with Brad last episode, where uh, Candace and Adam are, are, you know, Candace is also, we didn't talk about this. Since she spent her time on exile, she barely has had like 24 hours with with her new tribe at this point. So her and Adam are finding a time to connect and we get to see a little bit of a GG from Jenny here where she expresses to Parvati that she's worried about them as a pair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pattern with this season or a lot of the episodes uh, just to set it up. And, you, and you're exactly right. It's that Candace and Adam are, are doing a little, doing a little snuggerino there uh, on the beach and, and getting close. And it's Jenny that, you know, sort of has to, get this oh i don't like how things are going Rah! and it's like well jenny you are getting screen time at the very beginning of an episode of cook islands this isn't going to end well for you <laughs> where were you the episode where Be- rebecca and jenny both left survivor 
All right, so here we go. So yeah, we start with uh, yeah, Candace and Adam have started flirting again. Now they're kind of hooking up again. They're totally a couple, just like before. Again, they're part of the evil Raros, though. Every every scene of Raros kind of seems kind of ominous. They're just cocky. They're laughing, stuff like that. They're, they're really pushing this I two four underdog storyline. And uh, although Penner, of course, is uh, he calls himself a wandering Jew without a tribe because he's kind of screwed now. Nobody likes him. And again, like you said, this is Penner's storyline from here on out. And we're gonna go right into the reward challenge. This is one uh, where they have to memorize semaphore flags. They're doing a little puzzle, and they have to spell out the words, or they have to remember what the flags say. And the winning tribe gets to go to visit a, a local village, a Cook Islands village. Yeah, yeah and, and this, it, this challenge isn't even close, by the way. No. Uh, and, the, the, it's, and it's basically, surprisingly, Rebecca does not biff this challenge. Because, again, <laughs> Raro Stupid does not put Rebecca in for the reward challenge. Uh, it's Jenny and Jonathan that just can't dig, apparently. They're not, they're not a digger. Uh, and so I too very clearly takes it. And so like, they have to like line up the ropes and dig up the treasure chest as well with the comp, the compass rose is also like if, if exile Island is to skulls, what cook islands is to compasses, apparently a lot of compasses. And, you know, I mean, Jonathan's already pissed off at Jeff probes from last episode, right? With the Jonathan getting frustrated by me and Jeff tells you, you have to dig at every turn. Jonathan's like, no, Jeff, I won't very well. No, just kidding. He tries to dig, but he's not very good at it. And I mean, I two crushes them in this challenge. It's not even close. And they get to go to the reward challenge. And the reward challenge was, I mean, this is fun. This is fun TV, going to the village. Although before we get to the village, let's point out that they, they, it takes them exactly .05 seconds to decide to send Candace to Exile Island again. Well, my favorite part of that is that like, even while the challenge is going, we get a lot of shots back to like Adam and Poverty and Candace, where it's like they're watching a train wreck happen in slow motion, where Candace is even saying, like, I'm going to exile. I know I'm, I'm going <laughs> <Yeah>. to exile. <laughs> What my favorite moment to think about this about this I think about every time I watch the scene when then they say right away in unison Candace that's island she starts crying and all this stuff is I remember when that episode aired CBS was still doing the attack survivors return of the oh, survivors yeah. wow. the blog where there were different survivors that it would kind of they had like a scout uh, scout from Vanuatu would write like these huge, huge novels, and everyone would get annoyed at it because that, like, she didn't know how to write a blog. It's just like one paragraph. Um, but <laughs> she was always there, and then they had different guests that would rotate in every season. Well, Sandra was, was writing at this time, and I remember her comment on this was that she actually felt bad for Candace once, um, you know, once they all... Um, once they, they sent her to exile again, but then as soon as they showed her talking and crying on exile, and she was she was glad that she got sent back there. So um, I always think about that moment, and then think about you know interactions with Sandra and Candace uh, later on down the road. Yeah, so we go to the reward here, and I too gets to visit the village, and this is the one, if I recall, where uh, Ewell gets a lap dance, and then they make like a Ewell sandwich out of him. Yeah, and this is where even like they even say in the confessional, like, "Wow, Yule's beginning to show some personality." <laughs> yeah. So there's a three-way in the scene, and Ozzy is not involved. That's the interesting part. All right. So, <laughs> anything else happened in the reward? I don't remember for specifically. I have nothing else in my notes. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well said. It was good TV, but yeah, it was a reward. Uh, I I thought it was a very good go to the village get a feast reward. Uh, super cute scene, but it was nice scene. Let's go. Yep. All right. So we go back to Raro. Penner catches eleven fish that day. He's starting to become important. He's like, "Well, I got to feed these people. At least they'll, if I feed them, they can't vote me out right away." So Penner's trying to do whatever he can. And now we go to uh, the immunity challenge. This is where 
they have to memorize a bunch of islands, if I recall. Mm-hmm. And basically, they have to like swim out, dive down, unclip some island names, and then basically like identify which islands are what numbers on the map. Yeah. And this is a, there's a big storyline leading up to this uh, challenge that Rebecca has never actually helped in a challenge for Raro. So they're kind of hoping that she steps up and has her day today. And again, yeah, and again, this is something that the email from, uh, from Renee Seiler pointed out was that they, 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 you know, Raro got stuck in this cycle where they had to keep re- uh, relying on Rebecca. So while it's impressive that I2 made this huge comeback, it's partly Raro's fault because they kept putting their worst ch- uh, competitor out there during the immunity challenges. Well, that's a mistake from Raro. And the other, I mean, another one is you look at these episodes and it's like, okay, Penner mutinies, right? And it's like, Candace never really has time with the tribe because Candace keeps getting sent to Exile Island, right? So Penner's kind of got to kind of bear the brunt of this mutiny, right? Where, you know, the rare tribe's like, why'd you do it? Why are you here? Oh my God, can you believe this guy? But it's like, he's there now, right? And it's like, even though Penner's trying to, you know, get an alliance back with Adam and Parvey and stuff like that, like, you know, Brad beforehand, before he got eliminated, and Jenny, you know, like, there's just all this negative vibes toward Penner. And I mean, Penner's trying his best, but it's like, okay, another mistake that Raro makes, other than just keep sending Rebecca out there for immunity challenges, is they made no effort to, like, include Jonathan in anything, and I'm not saying Penner is this super important linchpin in there, but it's just another of this failing of of this uh, dominant, you know, was eight-person Raro tribe that ends up getting taken out by the I-24. It's like, okay, so you have a person on your tribe that you're literally just ignoring and saying, boy, you know, if you were gone, it'd be okay. And that's not good strategy. The one thing that always struck me about the comeback for the I-24 is, you know, people have talked about how amazing it was that four people defeated eight, but... The thing that struck me, even before I read that email, Miss Seiler's email, was that that a lot of these challenges are swimming challenges, and I2 is never going to lose a challenge that what's swimming based because they have Ozzy. So well, yeah. yeah, it's impressive. It's eight against four, but like all eight people aren't competing. It's all four. It's really you just have to beat Ozzy, and there's no way they're ever going to beat Ozzy. So I, I never really bought into this comeback being this amazing thing at the time because like well they're they're just they're never going to beat Ozzy. So you, that's, that's the thing for me. Like I don't, I don't I never bought the big comeback. It didn't seem that impressive to me because one guy was unbeatable in challenges and then the other guy you will you can never vote out. So that's two people they could never possibly beat. It's just one of those things that's always kind of stuck with me and, and I, watching it again when I saw it this last week uh, this last rewatch and we got to this challenge I'm like well of course I2 is going to win. Like Ozzy just swims and destroys everyone which is exactly what happens and I even wrote on my notes here, oh, gee, I2 wins. Yeah, look at that. I was just going to say, I mean, it doesn't help that they voted out one of their strongest swimmers in Brad last round. You know, as I've, I've, like, we, I know we kind of glossed over the boot, but in terms of thinking about their decision-making, which is a horrible idea because these people are very irrational, but, like, yes, Brad may be annoying you, but he's one of your strongest performers, even if he, you know, decides to do the puzzle rather than swimming. This is one of those challenges where Brad could have at least kept them on par. And then they could have maybe passed them on uh, on the island matchup like they did a couple episodes ago. And I mean, I don't want to get too far down the road here, Mario, but you have to you have to realize, yeah, okay. So the I two four have Yule, who you can't vote out. They have Ozzy, who is like challenge beast, and you have Becky, who's pretty good at puzzles. And Sundra is not the greatest person in challenges, but she's not the worst either. So you've got a good core four of people who are dedicated to each other, have motivation. I get the fact that, you know, maybe they're going to do well, uh, better in these challenges than Raro is, but you also have to realize that 
they beat Raro once. Raro votes out Brad. It's still seven to four. And mm-hmm. as we're going to get up here, we're going to have the bottle challenge where Raro is going to lose two more people. They're going to lose Jenny and they're going to lose Rebecca today. And they're still up numbers. They're st- when they actually merge, it's still five to four. Mm-hmm. So like, even though you can't vote out Yule and you can't vote out Ozzy, you could vote out Sundra or Becky. Yeah, but again, or or, or if Yule passes his idol off, okay, so one of them goes home, but then Yule doesn't have the idol anymore, you know, and and like then it becomes sort of this fair game, and it's like, yeah, if that's what happens, you know, at the at the five four vote, you know, they they use the idol, and then it's four four at that point. But I mean, we got a wide open game at that point, and if Ozzy doesn't win immunity, it may not be hard for someone to be, you know, but it's like that I two four is unbreakable at that point. So I get that, but you know, it, it just takes one slip up here. No, I agree. I just, to me, it just always seemed that when they have a uh, swimming challenge, I two's no longer an underdog anymore. Well, here's an Aussie challenge. Yeah, that's, that's just I, what it looks like to me. I never feel like they're underdogs as far as the challenges go. It's just they're yeah. underdogs as far as the fact that they are very behind in this game. Yeah, and again, like the email said, they the producers started moving some challenges around here to put them in different spots to kind of give I two's a chance to come back. And this is a big one right here. We're going to throw a swimming challenge right up Ozzy's alley, and we're going to throw a bottle twist that whoever loses, which is going to be Raro, is going to have to vote out too. So this is. I mean, people have complained about this episode for years that it's just absolute outright rigging, and I don't disagree with that. This is one I can see why the producers probably did it, but I, I've ever, never seen anything that says this this was this uh, whole episode wasn't just the producers trying to screw Rara over so I two can get back in the game because it absolutely jumps out at you when you see it. I, I wonder, not to challenge, you know. R. Siler's email here. I don't, I'm I'm still not sure that they would have changed the contents of the bottle had I two lost. Specifically because we are in a post Palau era where they said, "Oh, this one tribe keeps losing. Well, let's just let's keep going. Let's see what happens if one person makes it to the merge." Yeah. And you know, we'll we'll it'll it happens. We'll see it happens sometime later in Survivor Philippines where they keep the three tribes formed until one tribe is almost decimated. So I could totally see them saying. Yeah, I too will have to vote two people out, but we've we've had you know we've had the underdog storyline before. We've had it the past few episodes. Let's see what happens when it's seven against two. Yeah, I agree with that. But then you have to take into consideration the thing in the email that the producers were terrified that this Caucasian final four alliance was going to take over. And all of a sudden, if you dump two I twos right here, it's almost guaranteed that's going to happen. Well, if you dump them, then they go to Misfit Outcast Island, Minority Island. <laughs> yes, but I mean that's the thing that the email said that you know. No one actually knows what would have happened had I2 won the or lost this challenge. No one knows if that bottle would have been switched, if the instructions would have been different. And again, the producers will never flat out say that they will rig something. They'll just kind of dance around it. But that's the that's the question. What would have been the bottle in the bottle if I2 had lost? And would it have been switched? Who knows? Because that's it's a big question and no one can answer that. But we don't have to answer the question because I2 wins the reward or wins the immunity challenge. Yep. Thank God for Ozzy. And the bottle goes out there, and we d- we're going to figure it out at Tribal Council. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's definitely uh, a big indicator of this how straightforward this post, uh, post-challenge strategy scene is, and that the main argument is just people wondering what's in the bottle, instead of actually talking about who to vote off. Yeah. Well, it's, it's pretty clear they're going to they're gonna vote out Rebecca. So, yeah, yeah they won't Rebecca out, but they even say, well, if it's not Rebecca, it'll be Jenny. It's one of the two. 
It's one of the two. So yeah, and they basically telegraph both. We saw Jenny have a meltdown at the beginning of the episode. Um, they built up the fact that Rebecca's not very good in challenges. So they're like, we're going to vote Rebecca out, and if it's not Rebecca, it's Jenny. Oh, geez, you talked about two people? That's cool, because we're going to go to this tribal council. Yeah. So yeah, so Rara goes to tribal council. They vote out Rebecca, basically, because she's killing them in the challenges. I mean, Nate wants to get rid of Penner, but they can't, because Rebecca's just an absolute anchor, destroying everything. They vote out Rebecca, then they have to open the bottle per the twist instructions. The bottle says, okay, now vote out another one. And Parvati gives her one of her better quotes of the season. That's not fun. And Nate, Nate calls this Whack Arnold, which I think is the first reference to a Chappelle show sketch on Survivor. <laughs> yes. And the country was robbed of Rebecca's final words. Yeah, that's, that's probably, you know, we, we talked about this twist. You just talked about this twist being unfair a few moments ago. And I would say probably the person that's mo- it's most unfair to is Jenny, considering that she had no time to strategize and complete <laughs> her case whatsoever. They said... Like usually, you know, and and they give a few minutes for people to state their case just to make some good TV. And we don't know that might be on the cutting room floor. But from what it seems like, they immediately just cut to the next vote. And so Jenny had absolutely no idea what was going on. And so she was eliminated as a result. Although I'm sure Paul can fill us in on the juicy early show details. Well, it was such a fun, bubbly interview that they had to show a secret scene where Parvati washed clothes. Oh, my God. I kid you. I'm not making this up. Like, this is what I took notes on. Yes. That was their secret scene. And then I already told you how bubbly Rebecca was on The View. So that's all I got for post-show uh, press day. Was, was The View stuff on the Cook Islands DVD, or did you have to look that up? I just, I just remember watching that from when that actually aired. <laughs> from memory. Paul is reeling this yeah. off from memory. I, Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike, this is Paul. Paul, Mike. <laughs> yeah, definitely early show. Definitely early show. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, Rebecca, kind of a worthless character. No one really missed her or anything. But I, I will say Jenny, by Cook Island standards, was a fairly interesting character. And I know that's not saying much, but she had a little character and a little color. So she's not as bad as some of the ones that preceded her. High praise, I know. <laughs> All right, we're going to move into... Ep- Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, it, it would have been fun to watch Jenny perhaps on another season. Mm-hmm. May- I mean, I don't know. It, it, that's, that's, a tough, that's a tough argument, though. Because like, we've said uh, that about a lot of people. This is what our, our 13th uh, you know, season of Survivor that we're talking about here. And how many you know, pre-merge or early merge boots have we basically said... Well, you know, if we only got more of them, or if their narrative were a little different, or if their narrative of the season were a little different, maybe they would have been a character. But it's like, uh, that, that there's so many people that fall in that category. I don't think Jenny necessarily stands out from anyone in that category, but she's one where at least, unlike some of some of the other people uh, in the season that have been voted out, uh, like Flicka or, or or Rebecca or something like that, where it's like, boy. You know, would have been great if we'd seen them on another season. Maybe they would have flourished. It's like, maybe Jenny would have. If only we'd seen a secret scene of her washing clows. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's I mean, a push Parvati over the edge. I was expecting it to be, yeah, she, she washed my clothes, dirt pile. <laughs> you should have seen the strategy that Parvati used to wash those clothes. It was amazing. All right. So we're going into the merge here. Five, it's five to four. There's five Raros, four I2s, and we're going to the merge. And this is going to be a very interesting episode. This is one I particularly like, and there aren't many episodes of Cook Islands I like. I find this one to be interesting with all the Ewell and Penner stuff. 
Let's get faded, boys. Well, there's oh, that, but I remember thinking, I, I mean, I remember thinking, this is the time going in here, I remember thinking that for sure, definitely, Yule's hidden immunity idol would probably come into play this episode. Yeah, and absolutely. And it does, does in a manner of speaking, not literally in play, but... Not literally, <laughs> but in a manner of speaking, and, and it goes to show how great Yule is, right? But, I mean, I just, I remember thinking about the whole week, just going, well, it's still five to four for I2, right? And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, Ozzy's a good chance to win individual immunity if they merge. I mean, I remember, th- I remember thinking that there was going to be a merge this episode. So, like, I-, I was just really, my brain was just really sort of spinning as to what was going to happen. And I was like, well, I think that ultimately what I thought was I thought that a Raro tribe member was going to go home at the end of this evening. But I think it was because I was like, we're going to see an idol play. We're going to see Yule use the idol to save either himself or someone on i2. And, you know, someone on Rare is going to go home. And I was very excited to see the idol be played in such a manner, to tell so, you the truth. Or, um, Paul, you might, you might remember this. Is this. When's the last time that we had the merge annou- announcement come where, like, Jeff brings everyone together just to tell them that the merge is happening? That it's not, like, before a challenge or anything? Um, 10, 9. Yeah, it's been... I mean, no, you know, we just we just got into the habit of, of doing it the different way. It's been a long time since he brings about just for has this ever happened really? Were they actually were they meeting at a place just for the merge and not a challenge? Like where, not, where it's everyone? You're not allowed to ask those questions, Paul. You answer those questions. You're allowed yeah. to ask them in the mirror. <laughs> I mean, I guess kind of when the, in Amazon when they come together, they meet at one spot and then they go to the new camp with the with the food or whatnot. I guess kind of all stars maybe they meet on the beach there. Um, but yeah, odd that there's not a, a challenge directly, fo- you know, following the meeting of the two tribes. Yeah, I was going to say, didn't all stars, did, they didn't do that challenge right after they merged, right? No, because they, they flew in from the reward and they were on the beach there and then they, they started doing their thing. So no, yeah, I remember that because they had the reward challenge. Then Rupert and Amber and Jenna came back. Then Jeff brought them together again, said, okay, you're merged, then sent them off again. And then they came back uh-huh. for the immunity challenge. Was Vanu- was Vanuatu right for the immunity challenge? It might no Vanuatu. I think might have been right after the reward challenge. Well, no, they had the reward challenge. They had the cake and the ice or the cake and the milk, and they they ate that first. Yeah, and then they merged somehow. But I don't. I can't remember how they were brought together there. Uh, we're losing people. We got to talk more about the early show. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and Renee Sire said, "Wow, what a look." <laughs> All right, so we get to the merge, and this is where we start off this episode with the you know the four Caucasians talking about how they're in a really solid spot now. And Adam and Parvati, if all goes well, these two have it wrapped up because they have two goats to ride to the end, and that Penner and, and Candace, no one's ever going to vote for those two because they mutinied. So it's really going to be the Adam and Parvati show if all things work out well here. Although this is the episode where Nate and Parvati start getting this lazy young brat edit where they just lay around and just laugh and, and do nothing. And even Penner starts complaining, these two are little brats. So yeah, th- we're definitely getting like foreshadowing here of what Jonathan's doing later on. And it, it, it's interesting because we've heard a lot in behind the scenes stuff about Penner's tried to justify his flip by talking about how the, the Raros not only like said the stuff that was shown on camera, but apparently said apparently anti-Semitic comments or, you know, insults about his wife. I personally think, I, I don't know if that's completely true, but I could definitely chalk it up to more of like a, an age schism type of thing, almost like a redux of the mall rats versus the octogenarians in Survivor Africa, where I think it's just a generational difference that Penner is, ever since the beginning in on the old Raro, that Penner was 
priding himself on on working hard and these people clearly just didn't want to they just wanted to lay around and, and just thought that the, the elements would take care of them naturally yeah and the young people want to get faded yes <laughs> yes yeah so we get to the merge they all decide to merge on Larero's beach where there's no rats there's more coconuts and all the young people want to get drunk they want to get faded and penner's annoyed by this and this again like you said this is a generation gap but penner just doesn't fit in with this group and the other things that happen in the the merge here is that Nate kind of becomes a swing vote in the middle, even though they're up 5-4. He's kind of bonding with Ozzy now and the other tribe, so Nate's kind of in the middle. And then Adam and Parvati start drunk flirting with another, and Adam gives us a great line, which I'm sure Mike will be able to imitate, where Adam says, now both girls can appreciate me, meaning Adam, Candace and Parvati can both flirt with him, so they, they're both allowed to appreciate him. Uh, I got two holes, boss, for a reason. <laughs> oh. Who's putting stuff in who? Uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. All right. <clears throat> and so this is where we get a very interesting scene. I circled this in my notes because this is an important one where Yule and Becky have this discussion where maybe Yule should tell people he has the idol. He's going to try to leverage it somehow to work an advantage where they can get someone to pop over from Rura over to their tribe. Just maybe the threat of the idol is enough to do it. So they start debating this, this strategy now where maybe, I sh- maybe it shouldn't be a secret anymore that I have the idol. And he targets Jonathan because... Jonathan is predictable. Jonathan's a rational player. You can you can just talk to him and use reason, and Jonathan will expl- understand what you're trying to do. So they're going to target Jonathan as the person to tell that Ewell has the idol, and maybe Jonathan will come and join them because it's in his best interest now. And I'm sure it was also pretty apparent that nobody on Rero liked Jonathan. Yes. Like, even though he's got an alliance with people, they're not including him in things. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we should also point out that he does not choose Parvati because he does not believe Parvati to be a rational player. So let's just point that out as well, Parvati's Well, her non-profit work is disgusting at this point. <laughs> I thought she did charity boxing. Yeah, she's a foxy boxer. Oh, okay. All right, yeah, so wait, there's a, a ton of neat little strategy scenes here between Penner and Jonathan, or, uh, uh, Penner and Yule, where they start talking strategy. And this, is, again, was alluded in the email that, that, that uh, our person said, yeah, there was a... We, I know for a fact there was a lot of discussions with the producers and with Yule and with Penner and this they'd pull them aside. So the producers were very much interested in making sure that Yule and Penner kind of talked about this. So while I'm sure it was in Yule's best interest to go talk to Penner, I'm sure they were encouraged as well, which again is something that happens in almost every Survivor season that the producers will, will give people suggestions perhaps. Yeah, and it's interesting here because you will get will literally be called the Godfather over the next few episodes. And I know as as much as he tries to push that term away, he really does take a page out of that book here, where he, like you said, he rationally tries to appeal to Jonathan. But also part of that rational argument is him saying, "Well, if you don't stick with us, then we're all going to vote for you, so you'll be gone no matter what." Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. He does the stuff that Tom Westman gets accused of, and it's interesting because you will never takes that hit. You always hear, "Well, Tom was a bully." Tom push people around, he strong-armed people. Yule does the exact same thing, and I always think it's interesting that Tom takes such a hit for it, and Yule never does. Yule is, I mean, some of the, the I mean, a, a lot of the stuff, not even toward Penner, but even toward uh, Sundra and uh, to Ozzy, you know, because he's got Becky pretty, you know, he and Becky are tight, right? And I mean, the I24 have bonded over this journey of them trying to take down the Raros, but the, you know, in this episode as well, Yule is going to let uh, Sundra and, and Ozzy know that he has the hidden immunity idol too. And there's a lot of just 
emotional string pulling that Yule is doing. And I mean, yes, the I-24 was, was well bonded for the fact that people mutinied off their tribe. It was four against eight, them against the world. There's that sort of thing. But Yule, I think, was feeding a lot of that as well. Not just, you know, hey, Ozzy had the whole, you know, mutineers are the first to die. But Yule, I think, basically fed that fire. Like, yeah, they suck over there. They, mm-hmm. they mutinied you. They're, they're a bad tribe. It's, it's us four now. I mean... It's easy to sort of, I mean, it's, it's easy to bond together with that four, but now that you've merged, maybe you're thinking, you know, among these four, maybe I, you know, I see Yule and Becky are tight. I'll never break in between Yule and Becky. Maybe I need to find another way. No, Yule, I think, really pulled the strings of those I24 and basically said, no, 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 we need to stick together or else. And it wasn't just, hey, guys, I think we should stick together for good and love and harmony. It was, you need to stick with me or bad things are going to happen. And he really did sort of, you know, emotionally keep that tribe together through fear, I believe, is, is one of the things he used. And he absolutely does it with Penner, bringing him over here with the, yeah, well, you're going to vote with us because uh, I have the idol. And if you don't vote with us, we're all going to vote for you. And then my idol is going to be played and you're going to go home anyway. Like, it's, yep. that's hardcore right there. Yeah. Does fear, again, keep people, does fear keep people loyal, Jay? I've heard. Yeah, okay. straight out of the Godfather. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, that was the thing that was in our... our our email that she wrote that uh, it wasn't in the rules that Ewell couldn't hand the idol off to anybody like right after the vote. So like what he's saying to Penner really is correct. Like no matter who Rara votes for, we'll just give them the idol and then it goes against you. So join with us. So it's, yeah, it's absolutely the case. And, and Penner even knows that where Penner says the only way, you know, I've screwed over so many people. The only way I can get to the end is with the person who has the idol. So it all kind of works out that it's in Penner's best interest and he knows it. It's a complete bastard paradox. Yes. <laughs> Do you think that just the the producers talking about what ifs cuz I mean spoiler alert the idol never gets played this season but do you think that that the fact that it wasn't expressly written cuz I remember thinking about the idol at at the time as well you know in the sense of like because you play it after the vote is after the votes are read right so I was thinking that there's no reason why you can't hand it off to somebody yeah. because it's it's not there but starting with Fiji uh, next season, I believe you have to present it before the votes are read, mm-hmm. and I, I'm like, do you th- do you think they made that change just because they were thinking about like, oh shit, that's that's not what that's supposed to be. Like, it's, you're supposed to just play it, and you know it goes. But the fact that you have that that versatility of looking at the votes and then just going, oh, I'm just gonna, oh, everyone voted for Becky, I'm just gonna hand the idol over to Becky. Like, you know, I, I'm wondering if just them sitting around talking about the outcomes of Survivor Cook Islands causes that idol change. I think talking to Tyler Perry must have done it. What Medea movie was he on at this point? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the one. This is the Tyler Perry idol, right? Just way yeah. before Tyler Perry invented it. Yeah, it's well, the it's same interesting. thing. It's way too up. powerful. It's interesting that you bring that up, Jay, because I mean that we've seen this permutation last season in Exile Island, but it never really came into fruition because Terry won nearly every immunity challenge. And by the time that he didn't, he was going to use it anyway, so it was automatic safety. Here, I feel like, was really the first time that people thought, okay, how are we going to utilize this idol here? And granted, it only happens for one boat, and that was the one boat that you only need to get through in order to survive in the game. But uh, th- there is a chance it might have gotten the producers' heads thinking about, like, oh, wait, there's a chance that that, you know, there's a chance that, that could have backfired on us. And even though, you know, someone on the Raro side might have went home, that there could be a loophole that... Of course, Yule would figure out. Um, and so they figured, okay, next season would be a way to 
sort of create a little bit of chaos in a way that you think you're playing the idol on somebody trying to save them, but it turns out to be all for naught, as we will see quite delightfully next season. Right, and, and also with Terry, Terry won almost every immunity except for the one, and, and you know he was safe because of the, the threat of the idol, but Terry was never going to you know play that idol for somebody else because he was basically by himself so you know terry had to win the immunities and if he didn't win the immunities and they voted for terry he'd just play the idol but this in this situation yule is i mean obviously yule is to protect himself but it's the i24 right so he could very easily like in this sense he's like you know vote 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 with us jonathan or we're all gonna vote against you and i'm just gonna nullify whatever you do because he has that power like if they all vote sundra you know, Yule could just hand the idol to Sundra as the votes mm-hmm. are going on. Like, you know, he Yule knows this. And so yeah. and, and he's he's wielding that power. And it's like Terry was never going to do that because Terry didn't have an alliance to protect. Terry had just himself. Yeah. And also, this is where Yule tells Sundra he has the idol. He tells Ozzy. It's everyone has to know he has the idol now for this to work. Yes. Now, do yeah. they think that on the cutting room floor, maybe it was a secret scene. Do you think he like had to fake telling Becky that he had the idol, too, because I, that's what I'm always confused about as to whether Sundra and Ozzy knew about how close Yule and Becky were and whether they'd be offended that if she if they found out that she knew the idol an umpteenth amount of days before they did. Like, that's that's not a good sign in terms of your alliance <laughs> and your totem yeah. pole. Even without seeing it, I'm assuming that has, that scene has to be there where he has to break the news to Becky in front of them. All right, Becky, remember oh, how excited no. you were? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, but no, we show uh, footage of people washing clothes on the early show, so whatever. <laughs> Your call, Renee. <laughs> we're calling you out, Renee Seiler. All right, so yeah, now we go to the... Uh, so Penner basically has decided, well, if, if Yule really has the idol, I have to join them because that's the, the best thing for me, and he's a very rational, selfish player. So anyway, now we go to the immunity challenge. This is the first immunity after the merge, and this is the famous hold on to a pole for as long as you can. A.K.A. Parvati's pre-foxing boxy career. <laughs> wow. Zing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, thank you. So yeah, so yeah, the Parvati Memorial Challenge here. And this is the one where they just, it's like the totem pole, they hang up there and they stay on for as long as they can. And This, and, this uh, challenge has been used a lot, by the way. Yeah. This is Although, a staple. Yeah, and Ozzy, I think, is unbeatable. Didn't he win this one? He wins this in South Pacific and here, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not going to beat Ozzy at this challenge. Yeah, I think, again, the, the highlight of this episode comes where Yule, again, showing that smidge of personality, goes into that extended piece of dialogue about the, the surface area of the pole and how it's not proportioned to the, seat, to, the, to the foot size, and that's why elephants can't run up trees. And it also explains why you will, ne- will never get a date again. I think Yule's just fine in that area. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's a good challenge. That Again, that's a scene that the, the little thing with Yule giving the explanation about the elephants, a lot of people said I should have put on the funny 115. If I didn't hate Cook Island so much, I probably would have. But it's, it's as Cook Island's moments go, it's one of the funnier ones. It's a cute little character moment for Yule where he shows his nerditude. We also have a Jeff Probst chauvinist moment, question mark. Uh, it's Candace and Becky and Ozzy are the final three, and, and Jeff is clearly wanting to like do something, so he's taunting them with the necklace, and he's like, Candace, here's the piece of jewelry you want. Becky, yeah, it'll look great around your neck. Ozzy, it's unisex. <laughs> yes. Yeah, one of the rare times Jeff Probst appears to be sexist. The one and only. <laughs> yes. So anyway, yeah, Ozzy wins the 
the uh, Poverty Memorial Challenge. He hangs on as long as he can. Uh, he wins. He's safe for the vote. And now we go to the big, <clears throat> the big vote after the merge. This is the biggest vote of the game. And uh, it should be five to four, but this is when Yule finally whips out the idol, shows it to Penner. So it's really all up to Penner now. And so Yule offers a final two deal to Penner. Says, me and you go to the end. And Penner's like, I don't see how I could get a better deal than that, to be honest, in this current situation he's in. So, so Penner, Penner, of course, a lot of people forget this part, that Penner actually goes to Raro and says, hey, guys, what if Yule has the idol tonight? What if we... <laughs> and they're like, no. So Adam, you not, Adam, see, yeah. yeah, see the bump in my pocket, boss? It's a bump. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so they're all completely, again... Parvati, the survivor legend, is, will not even consider that Penner may have, or that uh, Ewell may have the idol in there. All, they all just completely shoot down Penner. No! And no, so, and, so, I, and I think one of the reasons why is because I think that a lot of them think that Adam has the idol, and I think uh, if what Sarah told me and, and, you know, forgive me if I get the information wrong, but it was, you know, they when they mutinied, Penner and Candace thought that Adam had the idol, and then they get over there and they're like, alright, Adam, you have the idol, right? And Adam's like, No. And they're like, well, crap. Okay, well, let's let's pretend that you do, right, to keep people loyal. Yeah. And so they sort of, I think what happens is that on Raro, they created this fabrication that perhaps Adam has the idol. And so when Penner comes over and says, uh, actually, I think Yule has the idol, they're all just like, uh, no, dude, because Adam has it. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things, like, I wonder if Adam could have played this a little better to just... Wait, you I don't think? know. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Like, I'm trying to think how he could, because he's clearly thinking of his own self-interest. He doesn't want them to know he has the idol. Or he wants them to think he has the idol. It's going to ruin his plans if he breaks this. But at the same time, he doesn't seem to grasp that, you know, this could be dangerous if Penner doesn't believe in him. It's just an interesting thing. I don't know. I was thinking of that. Well, it's tough because I think Penner was going, you know, uh, Penner made an alliance with his original Raro tribe. And, you know, a lot of the original Raro is still in the game at this point. And they thought Adam had the idol. So when Candace jumps off the mat, Penner goes with Candace because basically he's like, okay, Candace is my closest ally on, on this Ice 2 tribe. Candace is, is stepping over to the other tribe. I should follow her. And we're following to the guy who has the idol. They get over there. Adam doesn't have the idol. So, like, strike one. And then the thing is, is that now Yule is strong-armed Jonathan. And it's like at this point, Jonathan's just screwed. I mean, that's yeah. there's there's just no yeah. other way to put it. Yeah. And at least it's, so if he's going to go down, he might as well go down with the people that he likes rather than having to acquiesce to a bunch of kids who erroneously try to allude to the fact that they have an <laughs> idol when they don't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So we get to tribal council. Penner decides to flip again, and he joins the I twos to vote out Nate. And Nate is not happy. Nate already not a Penner fan. No, he and he has some calls him a, a, a dirty, stinky, whack fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of the more epic final words of this season. Where yeah, I, I wrote, the quote I wrote down is that Penner is a rank, whack, stinky fruitcake. <laughs> so many names. <laughs> and then, of course, then when the highlight comes now. Nate gets to go to the early show. Yeah. So at this point, they've thrown away the Survivor Cook Island set. At this point, they, they used to have an actual like set where they would have like it themed up. They just said, screw it, we're done. So he just gets to sit in a normal chair and they don't get to, to do the whole setup like they've all done on the earlier show for years and years and years. Nothing too uh, 
especially that Nate says, although Harry Smith, uh, very close. He got screwed. He got two in a row here. He, um, he got the, drew the short stick. I see here. He interviews, um, Nate and he refers to Yule as you. He does not include (laughs) the L. So that's, that's so confusing. So when you voted for you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, I think that's why I noticed it because it seems so bizarre. Um, and then uh, they also decided to do away with the secret scene. They'd already, you know, had they had a they had so much material they put out there with poverty washing clothes, Brad throwing a machete, and Jonathan talking about voting out Flicka. That they decided, you know, we don't want to overload the fan base here. So that's it. Was there a scene where Harry and uh, Nate talk about their favorite Dave Chappelle sketches? Because I know Harry Smith would be a big Dave Chappelle fan. No. no. I Sadly. particularly love the, uh, the, cl- the Klansman, uh, who is blind <laughs> and also happens to be African-American. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So, yeah, we lose Nate, and now all of a sudden it's, uh, it's four, uh, five, three, I guess, if, uh, if Penner is back on the I2 side. And so the next episode starts with, hey, guess what? Everyone's mad at Penner again. Oh, yeah, this one is oh, still really tough to watch. I mean, the, I, the, the Raros are, this is really like the apex of their bratty edit here, where yeah. literally every scene that we're going to have involving them is them just trashing Jonathan mercilessly. Yeah. Although there's a great scene where, uh, with, well, first Penner starts, he says, you know, if I don't win, I'd rather see the I2s win because he hates the lazy Raros. And then Parvati says, you know, I, I feel vile that Penner turned on us. She feels sick to her stomach. And, and there's a, again, I can't get over the fact that Parvati's edit this season where she's still arguing that Ewell doesn't have the idol. And Penner's like, yes, he does. He showed it to me. She's like, no. No, because, I mean, she really did believe that you know, uh, uh, Sarah Zemo was really interesting with all this, like, backstory where, like, you know, uh, Penner and Candace just thought there's no way Yule has the idol because he only had the two clues at Exile Island. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then when they got back or when they mutinied and went over to uh, Torero, you know, Candace kept getting sent to Exile Island. And they were, you know, when she got back and stuff, they were like, they, they were shoring up their alliance with Adam. And they're like, so you have the idol. And Adam's like, no, I don't have it. And it's like the response to that apparently was that Candace spent like all of her time at Exile Island, like digging around for the idol, you know, like, well, if he doesn't have it, it's still here. Mm -hmm. And it's like they never once really gave a lot of credence to the fact that maybe it's gone and maybe Yule has it. And it's like, you know, at some point, you know, in more modern seasons, I think that, you know, the assumption that someone's found the idol is more common. But back then, I think it was just more maybe wishful thinking at that point. Like, no, 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 it's still here. It's still here. Maybe we have it. And it's like, once Yule shows it to Jonathan, it's just over. And it's like, I think that Jonathan know it. And I think Candace and Adam probably know it. But I think Parvati was pretty snowed by this. Like, they were like, Adam has the idol. And I think she just really did believe that. And there's a great quote here that, again, we're just going to end up trashing Parvati. We'll make it up to Parvati later. We'll, We'll... We'll treat her nicely in Micronesia, but there's a quote here where Penner says that Parvati is a lazy, selfish child. She should never get a million dollars because it would screw up her life. So this is our, our Survivor Hall of Famer right there, that getting maybe the worst edit of anybody this season, except for maybe Billy. It's treated the same way as Lil treated Johnny Fairplay at the end of Pearl Island. <laughs> yes. I will yeah, say, exactly. though, in Parvati's defense, she did get a million dollars, and it seems like she's doing all right. So yes. Perhaps, perhaps a little bit spiteful from Mr. Penner there, but um, and real quickly, just and I don't want to go back and, and do a lot of things, but we we've given a, a not a lot of ton of love here to Survivor or Cook Islands, but I mean 
Nate was great. I would love to see Nate come back. If we're going to bring someone back, like, Nate's amazing. Why is Nate not back? So I would say that, like, I mean, Nate is a fantastic soundbite machine. I mean, I feel like we've just barely scraped the surface of all the weird terms that he uses to describe things. That being said, in my opinion, as soon as he joins the jury, he becomes unbearable. Uh, (laughs) Specifically, this tribal council, like, his... Like, everyone talks about Eliza being, like, the most, like, biggest overreactor on the jury. But Nate takes that and multiplies it by at least 50. He's doing, like, he's brushing the rib of his hat and he's brushing off his shoulders and he's <laughs> he's putting his knees up and cackling. It's, it's like, I can get how that can be funny. But to me, at least when it's the uh, in the jury, it's completely obnoxious. Yeah, I don't give a Cecilia whether he comes back or not. <laughs> No, I appreciated Nate. He's one of the few fun characters. Him and Penner are really the only two I was th- ever thought were fun in Cook Islands. Okay, so let's uh, let's go to an auction. Absolutely, the Survivor auction, which starts with Penner spilling beer all over Adam, which is an excellent moment for Penner to make more friends. Dude, bro, you spilled a beer on me, man. Behind it, uh, it's like Spuds McKenzie, boss. <laughs> oh my God, Spuds McKenzie well, is an well, old reference even for Adam. Yeah. There's no way Paul gets that reference. Uh, yeah, that was uh, no chance of me getting that. Um, I do love the erotic uh, Ozzy and the ice cream machine moment. That was kind of hot. That, he, that Ozzy bids 420 that Probst calls the magic 420. Number. All right. Let's go through the little recap here of the auction. So Becky wins. She bids $640 for the, one of the items is to win power in this game. And she wins it, and it's uh, send someone to Exile Island and take their money. And so there goes Candace right back to Exile Island. Also, Candace hasn't spent any money yet, so it's like double bonus. Yeah. And this, I think it's at the auction where Ewell finally reveals that he has the idol to everybody, or he tells everyone that yeah. he has the well, idol. What's because so. Candace was like, well, I think I, I think I definitely know where the idol is. And Ewell's like, listen, I'm just going to end this suspense right here. I have it. He pulls it out. <laughs> He, he distributes it to everyone. Poverty just has that nice little kind of pseudo dick moment of being like, eh, seems real. Uh, and so, like, everyone knows, finally, Yule has the idol. Yes, he does. It's certified. <laughs> I was, I was, what's funny, I was, I was watching this episode in my living room the other day, and, and you know, I, I, have a, I have two kids. I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. And it came on where Ozzy bids 420 for the ice cream maker, and both my kids start giggling. And I'm like, hey, you're not supposed to get that. They just thought that was funny, so I'm, I'm I'm horrified that my kids got that joke. I'm also going to say this right now. I remember at the time when Yule revealed it, and th- this just shows you know th- thinking and thoughts and, and maturity and knowing about hidden immunity idols and play and stuff like that. I remember at the time when Yule announced to everyone that the uh, had the idol. I was sort of shocked, and I was like, "What are you doing, Yule?" Because you know, I think the, the what we thought about idols at the time was you know, hey, try to keep it secret if you can. And I think for the most part keeping it out of yourself is usually better a lot of times than just sharing it with everybody because we've seen a lot of people get in trouble with that. But in retrospect, if, you, if you're on the strategy side of this, this is an absolutely perfect move from Yule. Uh, and, and the reason is is because let's, let's even say that Jonathan gets accepted back by Raro after his uh, flipping in the last episode. But it's four to four, right? And Yule just basically put it out there and basically said, you're all screwed. I have the idol. It's four to four someone on your side's going home. It's going to be, you're going to be down in numbers. And I think that this is the ultimate trump card. And, you know, obviously not everyone is then rushing to work with Yule uh, on, on certain things, but it's like maybe that, that opens up avenues for people trying to work with Yule and Yule gaining even more power than it because, you know, he's basically just told everyone, yep, I too's got this. Yep, pretty much. 
I wrote in my notes, this auction was a rare, fun scene in Cook Islands. Oh, auctions are usually good. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I, But this is, this is like a bright spot, because until Jonathan goes home next episode, it is extremely negative and ugly. We're not talking like all-stars level of ugly, but still pretty nasty. Yeah, it's a lot of negative stuff going toward Jonathan Penner. Yep. Yeah, so we leave the auction, and now Parvati thinks Penner was obnoxious at the auction. She's like, I'm going to turn the vote against Penner. So <clears throat> Parvati and Adam have now tried to turn everyone against Penner, saying, well, he flipped. He doesn't deserve to be here. Let's vote him out before you vote us out, at least. So, And Penner's like, yeah, I can feel the vibe. Everyone wants me out of here. And here we go to the immunity challenge. This is one where you have to remember events from the past 30 days. <laughs> and math. Yes. It's also Mara's favorite challenge because he can relive all the moments of Survivor Cook Islands. Awesome. It was great. Yeah, I was like watching the season all over again. <clears throat> Which is great. I can tell because I took no notes. I was so not interested in this challenge. I took no notes. Which is so funny because we're talking about, hey, you have to remember stuff from Survivor Cook Islands and do some basic math. Which, of course, means that Adam wins. Of course, naturally. Uh, the sum of the squares of two sides of a right triangle is equal to the square root of the remaining side, boss. <laughs> yes. So Adam outwits Yule and wins this challenge. So, okay, yes, Adam wins immunity. We go back to camp, and everyone wants to vote out Penner. All the Raros are trying to convince Yule. And they yeah. say, and they, they, they actually make a pretty savvy move here where Adam and Parvati say, Vote Penner out now, and we'll vote for you to win at the end, which is it'll, a it'll pretty big deal. Yeah, it'll yeah. continue. Um, but this is like this is the big confrontation here, where and we'll get this again in, in recurring in other episodes, where of course the the young brats of Raro are being the young brats of Raro, and they're just sitting in their shelter doing nothing. And Jonathan caught a bunch of fish for him in the iTunes, and him and Jonathan and Ozzy kind of go in on this plan together of like, let's just how about the, how about we just don't give them the food? They they don't go out and catch their food, so we might as well just. You know, we might as well eat it on our own, and that gets a big rile out of Candace specifically. Yeah. Yeah, Candace comes back. She tries to start this big fight between Yule and Penner, saying that, you know, Penner is unethical, and, and then Penner drops the great quote That's bollocks, and you know it. Which is a word you don't hear enough in modern America bollocks. All right, so Candace stirs up the fight. Everyone's trying to get Penner voted out of there, and uh, so we go to tribal council and. And like Mike said, at Tribal Council, Nate gets super animated whenever anybody bashes Penner. Anything that's bad about Penner, Nate will react to it on camera. And Mike and, will just smile and chuckle. And pretty much. He loved it. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, and so Adam and all them are just bashing Penner. You did this. You're horrible. And Penner's like, says you, Jack, says you. And so they hope to get Penner out of there, but it doesn't happen because we lose the beloved Candace instead. Yeah, well, so can, never see her again. Well, can we talk about this for a second? Because I know, uh, Paul, you kept making a joke on our Exile Island podcast about Daniel DiLorenzo, one of the top five biggest Survivor villains of all time. We didn't talk too much about Candace Woodcock Cody, apparently one of the top five Survivor heroes of all time. And it still <laughs> baffles me to this day why she was chosen for the Heroes Tribe, considering the way she went out. I did... One of the things we didn't talk about, the email we kind of got from the, the insider source said that the producers were very unhappy with the way they, they, uh, they portrayed Candace in Cook Islands. They didn't feel they did right with her, so they wanted to make it up to her. So I think that might have had something to do with it, like, because she added a lot to the storyline, and they didn't think they really treated her nicely. So I think they kind of owed her something. No, what happened was this, is that 
They want her back as a villain because that's what she was. And she actually, I can actually get behind putting her on a villain's tribe because that's a perfect role she played in the season. In fact, she even had a red swimsuit and uh, Parvati had the blue swimsuit in uh, Heroes vs. Villains. And they switched them out at the last minute for whatever final technical reason they decided to be best for the season. So I can get behind her being a top five female villain. Um, yeah. But pff, hero, oh, wait, no. Parvati was a hero? That's a, that's I've heard from 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 Parvati that she had a blue swimsuit on before they switched it. So and I, and I think part of that was because they didn't want to have her, Amanda, and Suri all, all the same yeah. tribe. Right. Um, all right, that makes sense. I'll buy that. I, so yes, well, oh, sorry. Here's the other thing about Candace. Candace, I feel for as much as uh, okay, Parvati is is a is a is a point of discussion for a lot of things going on in. Uh, the survivor community and it, it, there's a lot of people who think poverty is one of the greatest players to ever play the game and there are a lot of people who don't think that way candace gets a lot of talk because there's a lot of talk just like you brought up mario which is why candace has been brought back two times since uh since survivor cook island she's brought back for heroes versus villains and then she's brought back again for blood versus water they keep bringing candace back and a lot of people are sitting there saying why are they bringing candace back of all people and I, I sort of buy the fact that you feel like the producers felt they didn't do her wrong. But I, what, what, I, what I get out of that is that Candace was doing things out there and they didn't necessarily show them uh, for reasons of telling the narrative of the I-24, which I think Candace sort of had to get painted more villain-like and it fell by the wayside. But also, I think there's probably some gender bias and things that, that people talk out there. I mean, they talk about making big moves, trademark, quote, unquote, Jeff Probe survivor. But... Candace tried. I mean, the thing about it is, is that she, you know, she, as I said, why would you ever mutiny? I'm telling you right now, it's a bad move that Candace did to mutiny. It just absolutely torpedoed her game and everyone close to her. But she tried something and she kept trying. And you notice even when she was on iTube before uh, the mutiny, you know, she was talking with Becky, getting, trying to get in tight. Like Candace was working the game. She really was out there trying to make the social bonds and connections. It just nothing she did out there really worked long term, yeah. you know, but she tried. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would call her definitely call her one of the bigger characters of the season. That being said, I don't think she was an enjoyable character. Yeah, give me give me Yule, Ozzy, Penner, maybe even a little bit of poverty or even someone like Cowboy above Candace, because I think I agree, Jay, that like I think in terms of the events that played out over the course of the season, I think she was very much a part of them. But and this was the reception of her at the time on the internet as well. She's all she's in Cook Island. She's pretty bland yeah. outside of like her showmans with Adam and the the weird bizarro showmans with Billy. Like her personality itself, she's a regular medical student from the South. Like there's really not much to her aside from this episode when the claws come out. Well, I think that she falls under the trap that a lot of people on this season fell under, like Yule, like Becky, like uh, Rebecca, like some people out there. They just a lot of the people on the season are, I would say, not only smart people. I think a lot of times there are most people that go on Survivor are actually pretty smart uh, for the most part. But I think that they're smart and emotionally stable for the most part. And so when you have smart and emotionally stable people playing out there, they're smart and emotionally stable, but they're not necessarily the best television. Yeah. Well, that's Yule. That's the argument with Yule right there. Right. Yep. No, I totally agree with that. Although, speaking of Candace's uh, showmance with Adam, she gets voted out, and then she and Adam basically just do it right there at Tribal Council as their parting gift. 
Yes, is that their uh, homage to Rupert and his wife at the end of America's <laughs> Tribal Council? I'm going to do you right here. Well, uh, the next day on the early show, Harry Smith's question was, uh, you and Adam, what was that? Uh, at, on the at this version of the early show, have they taken away the chairs as well? Are they just sitting on <laughs> stools now? <laughs> are, they, are they just like on the floor in an empty studio? <laughs> is, there, is there no lighting? They're just like using fluorescent. You just see like a, they're, they're, you just see like a drop cloth in the background. <laughs> yeah. What did she say though, Paul? I can't even remember what she said. I didn't take any more notes on here because it must not have been interesting. Um, I think she just, I, I honestly can't remember. But I was just, I just wrote down the quote of uh, Harry Smith thing. What was that? Because I, I, I was told as well, and it, it was something that was a point of contention. I think I made a joke in part one of Cook Islands where I was like, what does that got to be? Because, I mean, obviously we followed Candace through some parts of her life, right? Like, you know, here she was single, I, you know, I, I would assume uh, whatnot, and she's canoodling with Adam on Survivor Cook Islands. But as she comes back, you, well, she was Candace Woodcock when she comes back for uh, Heroes versus Villains, but she is very much dating John Cody at this point, and then when she comes back for Blood versus Water, she is coming back with her husband, John Cody. So it's everyone's like, oh, you know, we see Candace get married to, you know, John Cody, but then you look back in uh, Cook Islands, and she's snuggling and, and making out with Adam and all that sort of stuff. I think I I was told, or I, I, I read somewhere, I, I think how it goes, is that Candace was already sort of dating John by the time this season came out. Ooh. Dough. Now it's awkward. Well, I guess it's part A, it's awkward, but B, I think that John is probably, you know, he's a level-headed, smart guy as well. It's like, you know, this isn't, even though you're watching the episodes go on, it's like, you know, hey, by the way, I was on Survivor, and, uh, you know, I made out with a dude there, but, you know, that's done. Yeah, don't worry, it wasn't someone dumb like Adam, it was someone (laughs) impressive. Duh, I'm the cuckold boss. <laughs> what cruel fate has befallen me? Oh my god, I, I, now I'm just thinking Adam playing like Dogberry or some sort of Shakespeare fool, and this is great. <laughs> I know, we're glossing over one of the Jeff Probst dick moments here, where uh, Candace and Adam make out, and then she goes to get voted off, and Jeff says something like, well, if it was really love, maybe he would have given you the immunity necklace. <laughs> Probes actually made me laugh. I appreciate it. Charlie Babbitt made a joke. Okay, so Adam's gone. And uh, so basically, I2 has got four to three on the Raros. Like, it's it's yes. pretty much done. It's basically, yeah, it's, it's the Raros against Penner. That's basically the, the storyline for the next episode. Yeah, I mean, do we want to talk about this episode in general? I mean, this, this episode is basically, uh, a, well, I wouldn't say a smear job against Jonathan, but it's Basically, 43 minutes of people not liking Jonathan Penner. Yeah, this is, again, not that... What's some, what's some, what's some bucket throwing thrown into it? Oh, well, it's okay. We'll skim through it real quick here. So this is the Loved Ones episode. Parvati almost cuts her finger off, so we get a Parvati gets her finger stitched up scene, which is actually less in- interesting than the Parvati does laundry scene. <clears throat> and then we go to the reward challenge. This is where you uh, bring water from the ocean, the large bucket. This is the, of course, Colby versus Reed memorial yeah, challenge. This is this is the Reed memorial challenge that hasn't yes, happened before, yet. Before it even happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and the reward is a, a spectacular picnic in a cave where they get apple pie and meatloaf. The Reed! <laughs> yes. Come on! Yeah. And so the loved ones, they call the loved ones out. And I'm trying to think, were there any interesting loved ones? Well, I feel like Terry Dietz would be very offended at this lineup considering it's only one pair of spouses. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So many kind of... moms and dads. <laughs> Too many moms and dads. 
I, kind of, I thought it was kind of awkward when Parvati's loved one was the entire roster of the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, I can top wow. your joke. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, Parvati comes out with her dad, and they win. They win the challenge here. And there's uh, anything else? Well, there's something interesting here where, so they pick two people, but the loved one has to do it. So the loved one, could, Parvati's dad could have totally fucked up and brought, like, Jonathan's mom. But he ends up bringing uh, Adam's dad and Sundra and her mom? Oh, yeah, that's right. He gets to pick who goes on the reward. First, first they send Penner to exile, and then, yeah, the, her dad gets to pick the loved ones. Sundra's mom and Adam's dad. Yep. Yeah, and they all, they all go back to camp, and, uh, and then uh, what happens? And the, the people go on reward to the cave. They get to dive into the cave water with the locals. It all looks kind of fun. They eat meatloaf, chicken, and biscuits. I do feel a little weird that Adam's dad is named George because it just sets up the Of Mice and Men parody so well. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many literary references in this podcast. Adam's a very, very learned man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. In a, in a, about an episode or so, we can basically say, "Adam, just look at the bunnies, Adam." <laughs> so yeah, and and the other thing is, is that you know while they're all picnicking, you know Ozzy and Yule and Becky are back there, and then they're just gonna like we're gonna hide food from these guys. And then they brought back some 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 food from the picnic, and they went, "Lol, J.K." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, so we're just smearing Penner. Everyone's having a great time because Penner's stuck on Exile Island. Ozzy's being a dick by hiding coconut. It's again, it kind of Ozzy's edit here. He starts as a dick in episode one, then he's like a or with the Billy thing when he throws the challenge. Then he's like a beloved god. Everyone loves him. Oh, he's too powerful. We have to get rid of him. Now he's kind of a dick again. He's hiding coconuts. It's it's almost like they, they can't really decide how to portray Ozzy in these episodes because they know he loses in the end, but they still want people to realize he was an impressive character. So it's, it kind of skews back and forth between Hero and Dick from time this, to time. This, this is Ozzy's game. Like, this is the game within the game. Sometimes, you know, you play, you play certain computer games like Dota and you know, you're all supposed to work together as a team and, and kill the guys on the other team. Uh, but some people are just, you know, hey, you guys do what you want. I'm just going to jungle forever and then come out at some point. And it's like, Ozzy, this is the game he's playing. He's not playing the vote out game or the or the survivor game. He's playing, I am getting stuff on the island and then I will decide who gets what. And, you know, this isn't the first season that he's going to be doing stuff like this. This is just a precursor to the rest of Ozzy's game. But Ozzy has decided that, you know, people don't get all of the coconuts and, and things like that. That's just the game he's playing. Okay, dude, you do that. You do you. All right, so uh, yeah, we go to the immunity challenge now, and this is the—they have to swim out right on this and get uh, build a pole and retrieve yeah, rings. This, this, this is the this is like the jetsam challenge where there's just a bunch of random crap in the ocean, and they have to <laughs> yeah. run across it and then <laughs> build a pole to grab some rings. Yeah, yeah like some the, great wipeouts though. Yeah, this is called the Aussie Winds Challenge because it involves swimming. Yeah, and it wasn't close. Yeah, no, so Aussie swims. Oh, swims every yeah, Go ahead. Yeah, everyone, everyone is struggling real hard, as Paul said. I mean, people. Biff it a lot, and Ozzy laps people considerably several times during this challenge. Because <laughs> not only is it swimming, but it's being able to balance and you know navigate you know a weird obstacle course that's floating in the water, and everyone's you know wiping out and you know trying to get things. And I mean, Ozzy is literally doing it backwards, like on his hands. He doesn't care. He's just <laughs> going through there. It's like that in Lord of the Rings where, like, you know, all of the people are, you know, chest deep in snow going up the mountain and, like, Legolas is, like, on top of the snow because apparently, screw you elves, you can do that. Does that make uh, Becky Gimli? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. You nerds. 
And my axe. All right. And so. my nonprofit work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Ozzy wins immunity. And so we go back to camp, and uh, Penner realizes the vibe towards him is very hostile now. There's one scene where he asks Becky how her sister is, and Becky just ignores him. Which is, <laughs> you can't really tell with Becky sometimes. She might be in the middle of beginning to talk, but you're not sure. But she just flat out ignores him in that one. Yeah, so Penner just, he's getting ignored. No one's talking to him now. He's all super paranoid. He's like, I'm screwed. And so uh, we go to trial. I think at one point, it's uh, Adam and Parvati do their little offer to Ewell again. If you vote out Penner before us, we'll vote for you to win at the end. So this offer's still out there. So this is, this is going to come and finally bite Penner right in the butt in this episode. So we uh, go to tribal council, and Adam just sits there and does his big goober grin at Candace the whole time. Yeah. And and this is this is the thing where Yule can then cut Penner loose because Penner has shown I mean he he mutinied and stuff like that but Pen, you know Yule is strong armed Penner but nobody likes Penner uh, Parvati and Adam are like hey Yule get rid of Penner and we'll think of you favorably and it's like you know without Penner I two has four and Rero has three at this point so it's like you know they they had a, they they voted out Candace what five three last time because they had you know Penner there and. And stuff like that. So they were like, you know, just just get rid of Penner. It'll be easy, and, and Yule mm-hmm. realizes that he can. He's got the numbers to do so. And they yeah. even talk about that last episode. They, they, Yule says to Becky, like, oh, we can vote Penner out. And she says, well, I'd rather vote our railroad first and then Penner. And that's literally what happens. Yeah. Who said that, Becky? I believe Becky did. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's the argument. A lot of people think that Yule kind of runs the show. But it has been argued, and Yule has said it himself, that Becky made just as many decisions as he did. So perhaps it was Becky that kind of made the call on this one. Yeah, so Jonathan, they finally vote out Jonathan Penner. And Penner, and of course... His, and he wants his hat yeah. back. <laughs> and I'd like my hat back, please. At some point. Yeah, that's it. And we end the episode with a great shot of Becky just sitting there and staring off into the void. It's a good <laughs> Becky moment. <clears throat> so, do we have any early show trivia for Paul on uh, Jonathan Penner? Um, no updates. I uh, also gave up on the season and no longer watch early show X interviews. <laughs> At this so... point, the building they did the interviews in was condemned, so they're standing outside <laughs> on the street. Yeah. It's just a picture of them Skyping one another, having the interview. Um, can we can we talk about Jonathan Penner? Because I feel like we didn't talk, actually talk too much about him in part one. And I mean, I, I'm going to say, in my opinion, bar none, the best character this season. Um, and I am... As much as we we may kind of crap on certain returning player seasons, I am very happy that he got brought back in his various instances because you really can't find a better survivor narrator than someone like Jonathan Penner. Yeah, he's got a great voice. He's one. It kicks. I, I kick myself that I can't do an impression of him because I would love to because it would be so fun to do Penner impressions. But he's he's got a great voice. He's got a great way with words. He's done television writing. He's an actor. He kind of knows what plays on TV. He's just really good for a TV show. Any, any episode with Penner in it is better. That's something I've always said. Penner, the, the only thing that I don't, and, and this is probably controversial as far as, you know, Penner heads go, but I find that Penner's final tribal council speech in, um, Philippines, in the Philippines is terrible. Like everyone sort of likes it because, you know, this is Penner. It is grandstanding the most, you know, he's doing all this sort of stuff. And I feel like that was a little over the top. I like, I like it when Penner is just sort of like you said, Mario, he works in television. He works in entertainment. He knows what plays well for camera. But even with that, he has like a, a, a genuine uh, quality about him most of the time. You know, even if he's lying or deceiving or, or working in the game and stuff like that, he still sort of comes across as very, 
you know, genuine. And I felt like that final tribal council speech in the Philippines was just him trying to be something of like a, you know, making a spectacle of himself as far as that thing goes. But as far as Cook Islands goes, he is, he shows himself to be an impeccable narrator. When his time on Micronesia, he does the same thing. And he was on, I think he comes in seventh place also in Philippines. So you get a lot of Jonathan Penner. And I agree with you. Every, any episode of Survivor with Jonathan Penner in it is probably better than one without him. And you bring up a great point, Jay, that, I mean, you use the term, uh, genuine i don't know i i I feel like he's so relatable specifically in this season as well because i mean we can really at least from the editing perspective we can understand his frustration with people like the raros and so it's interesting because he's such a hollywood type i think on paper a lot of people would be like oh he's an actor writer he's going to come off so polished so forced etc etc but he really doesn't he seems very natural in his manner of speaking and i think that just makes him more of a fun person to watch when people talk about Penner, I tend to think they all think he's a great player that kind of gets screwed repeatedly. I've never thought he's all that great a player. I mean, he's not a bad player, but I don't think he's anything outstanding. But I've always been of the argument that it's more important to be a better character than it is a player. So I don't really care if he's a good player or not, but I just I don't agree this, with this logic that he was such a fantastic player that just keeps getting screwed. But well, again, and, and it, I it think, goes back I to think- that. Yeah, I was just going to add on to that. I think that's part of the appeal of him, though, is sometimes you know, some of the best characters we get are not awesome at the game, and that's what makes them more you know, human and more fun to watch. Yeah, he's flawed. Flawed people are always more interesting. And that's flawed not in a bad way. It's just he's, like, he's relatable. He's a human being. He's not just some survivor god who was put out there to just show everyone how to strategize. He's, he's got his quirks. Some people like him, some don't. But he can always explain his point of view. So you understand where he's coming from, even though you see why he fails at Survivor. So... Yeah, he's one of those guys. I'm really glad he's uh, been on the show. I'm not really a big fan of returnees, but if anybody deserved to come back, I'm glad he did because it's always fun to watch him on Survivor. And speaking of returning players, now we get to the Parvati episode. Here's here, here's the fun thing that sort of strikes me is that this opening scene in this uh, the what this is the episode just before the finale, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, fourteen. So yeah, episode fourteen. And what I love in this episode is that at the beginning of the episode, basically Parvati and Adam basically realize there's the I24 and them. And they're basically like, oh shit, maybe we should do something about this. <laughs> <laughs> I still got this bump in my pocket, boss. Pretty sure it's the idol. That is like the Dr. Sean Kniff school of, uh, of, of trying to make, <laughs> yeah. uh, to make something happen. If it happens one more one time. One more time. <laughs> Colin, I hit the exact same joke at the exact same time. Love it. I want, I want, I want that to be Parvati's final words. Like, okay, I'm pretty sure the I2s are together now. <laughs> well, this, you know, Parvati gets this reputation. Well, I guess maybe we should talk about more about her after she gets voted out. Let's get through her episode first. Let's get to the mud. Yeah. So, yeah, with Pentagon, it's all kind of anticlimactic now. It's four against two, and the four aren't going to break up, and Ozzy is never going to lose a challenge, and you can't vote out Ewell. So, yeah, it's either going to be Parvati or Adam this episode. So, we get to the reward challenge. This is where collect the most mud. And it's funny, on all the things Ozzy's good at, he's especially good at collecting mud, too, because he almost doubles everyone else. He gets like 45 pounds of mud, and the next one's 24. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of those challenges where the top three people, the top three that gather the most yeah. mud, all win. So it's uh, Ozzy, and then Parvati, and then Yule. And they get to go on a spa reward trip together. And uh, Ozzy, since he wins, sends Adam to Exile Island. No one cares. <clears throat> All right. So, uh, yeah, so, 
So we get a great scene of Becky and Sundra going back to camp while the other three are on reward, which is a fascinating scene. Whenever you get Becky and Sundra interacting with one another, it's always exciting. And so they're they're, they're basically repeating what they said and what we said on the podcast two hours ago, which is them saying, oh, Ozzy's good at challenges. We should probably get rid of him. Yeah, that would be the opposite of so awesome if he won. When those two get together, it's like a bubbly day on the view. (laughs) Yeah, all right. So now we go to the reward and Parvati needs to pull Ozzy over to her side. Ozzy's the only chance she has that she's going to flirt with him. And again, to this day, Jeff Probe still insists that Parvati flirts with men and gets them to do what she wants and, and like she's this black widow. And this is like one of the only scenes that has ever happened, but he still likes to keep up with that narrative. But this is like the one scene that she's been, never been able to live down because of it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help that this is in her boot episode. This is one of the last things we'll see of Parvati on this season is her peeing in the hot tub and thinking that's a turn on. <laughs> Oh, let's say, okay, they all get massages, she's there with Ozzy and Yule, then they all get in the hot tub together, and then so what, the power goes out, they all get a candlelight dinner, it's very romantic, and then, yeah, naked hot tubbing. That's about it, I have nothing more to add other than Yule is very, Yule is very uncomfortable with this whole situation. <laughs> Yule does not normally go naked hot tubbing with foxy boxers, I'm guessing. Yeah, so Yule gets back to camp after the reward, and uh, Becky says... I think we should dump Ozzy. And so now they bring in Sundra, and the potential fake boot is, should we blindside Ozzy? And, of course, that's not going to happen. Yeah, no, Yule shuts it down. I mean, yeah. there to Yule, there's no real reason, because this is sort of where Yule is putting himself ahead of the I-24. Like, he uses the whole, the I-24 need to stick together to the end. I mean, that's that's how Yule is, is keeping everyone in line. But Yule's basically like, I think I could beat Ozzy. Like, I think Yule... You know, he sees Ozzy as 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 a threat, but I, I think uh, Yule at this point is like it doesn't matter if Ozzy's there at the end. I think I can beat him. So, you know, he doesn't really want to shake the nest and maybe allow some sort of possible thing to get in. Like he's pretty much sewn this up for the sense that you know the I two four are going to be there, and then Yule likes his chances. You know, him and Ozzy basically uh, uh, going to the end. So, I mean, Yule's going to shut this down because you know this 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 is a this is a move solely. For Yule by Yule. Well, Yule's also playing a little cute, uh, considering he got rid of Penner last episode, and Penner was so firmly in his court. And we'll see him get a lot more cute in a few minutes when he actually <laughs> brings his hat to Tribal Council. But I think Yule is trying to avoid, you know, playing a, a game of too many big moves, quote unquote, trademark, uh, you know, copyright Jeff Probst. Um, and I think, you know, if he got rid of Ozzy here, I feel like he's slowly building more and more venom on the jury here. Or if he got to the end with somebody, if he ended up getting to the end with, you know, Adam and Poverty would only need to win like two more challenges in order to get to the end. And then they have a buttload of votes on the jury. Right. You know, in order to, you know, do they know it's a final three at this point? I forget. No, no, no. They, they think it's a final two. But, you know, I, th- I think, yeah, I think you're right that Yule is basically saying it's got to be me and another I2 at the end, whether it's Becky or whether it's Ozzy. It's got to be another I2. It cannot be Adam or Poverty. It just literally yeah. cannot and so I think Yule's like, I could beat Ozzy, but if I'm there with Adam or Parvati, it may not be there. So, I mean, I think that you're right, Mike. He's playing it cute, but by the same thing, I think this is – Yule has been playing selfishly for himself for a long time, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. That's how you, that's how you win Survivor is you basically maximize everyone's moves to make it your maximized move. And I think at this point, you know, you're really seeing Yule – 
take the solo lead as far as things going. I mean, Yule is basically in it for himself here to win a million bucks. And I think that basically shutting this down, just saying, you know what? No, I'm not entertaining any Aussie talk. You know, not only is it, is it, is it good necessarily for the I-24, but it's just especially good for Yule. So he's not going to make it happen. Yeah. And I should point out, it doesn't matter because Ozzy destroys everyone in the immunity challenge anyway. Well, there's there that that's too. Yeah, that's also <laughs> yeah. a thing. Yeah, so this is one where you they build a table puzzle and then they have to run cannonballs through it, and Ozzy just destroys everyone again. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not so, close. Yeah, so <clears throat> so yeah, so uh, so now it's down to who's going to get voted out tonight: Parvati or Adam? And and they all decide Parvati's more dangerous because of her flirting with Ozzy. They're a little worried that she's going to be able to sway him at some point. So, so that's, that's, that's what I was about to ask. Did Parvati endanger her game by trying to do that at the reward? If she had tried to, which she does later on this episode, try to play up Adam as the bigger threat overall, do you think she could have survived? Or do you think it was more written in the sand than we expected it to be upon yeah. first viewing? I think it's kind of foolish to think we know exactly what happened and at what point she was targeted. But just from what we saw in the episode, yeah, it's, I think she absolutely shot herself in the foot by making herself a little more dangerous than she probably was. I mean, Adam is far more of a physical threat to win immunity than she is, you'd think. But you never know when she's going to urinate in your hot tub, so get her out. <laughs> yeah, the next, the next challenge is you have to collect the most pee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so yeah, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, what happens here? They want to bring the hat back to Jonathan at Tribal Council, and yeah, Jeff, uh, yeah. Jeff goes off here, man. Yeah, Yule yeah, Yule brings the hat back, and then Jeff makes a big point about it, which is, yeah, Jeff is totally inserting himself into the narrative here. Where he he just will not drop this thing that Yule's trying to bribe the jury, and Yule's like, I just brought the guy his hat. He wanted his hat. Yeah, he actually calls it the boldest thing he's ever seen someone do to try to win a jury vote. <laughs> yes, it's a big move. <laughs> I like your style. Yes. <laughs> so yes, and then Parvati. I may not. I may not like your methods, but damn it, you get results. <laughs> so yes, and at the end of the day, the beloved, most most excellent Survivor Hall of Famer, Parvati Shallow, is voted out at the end in sixth place. It is. It is an auspicious beginning for Parvati's uh, Survivor dominance, as far as it goes. It was. It's. It's not a good season for her, and and honestly, bringing her back, I was. I was. That was an eyebrow raiser. Yeah, she's really in in Micronesia. This is the thing we try to bring history into this, like what the feeling was at the time. At the time, Parvati, like when they announced the Micronesia cast, she's like the Amber of that cast. Like, why is she there? Yeah, I mean, you can make the argument maybe Amanda, but Amanda was the one that I didn't understand at the time. But Amanda at least made final tribal council. Yeah, Parvati was not considered a threat. She wasn't an especially popular player in Cook Islands. Like, she got beat on pretty bad. They made fun of her all the time on the Survivor Sucks message board. But aside from that, she was not loved. She was not hated. Like, she was, wasn't was really even a major player in Cook Islands. It was very much a head-scratcher when she came back. But what she was was she was that she was the incarnation of that archetype that Misty started that I think that Survivor wanted. So if only Misty had been a little better at Survivor, we probably never would have heard of Parvati. If only episode. she didn't have that rash on her arm. <laughs> Damn you, Misty. Less yeah, rash and more pee. <laughs> the poverty thing is interesting because I mean there's no question she's overrated but at the same time she did win Survivor and she I wouldn't say nearly won but she got to the end in Heroes versus Villains and she you know she's made quite a legacy for herself 
But at the same po- point, it just absolutely drives me crazy when she always gets listed as like the number one survivor of all time, the best player, the most dangerous. And then when probes will go on and on about stuff she doesn't even do, like, oh, she she manipulates men. She's a black widow. And even Parvati gets annoyed. She's like, I don't do that. I've never done that. So it's one of those things. Like, I get in fights with Parvati fans on the Internet all the time. And I kind of like Parvati by this point. I feel she gets crapped on by probes that I kind of defend her. But Parvati fans absolutely drive me crazy to the point that I came up with a nickname for her that I love to. This is one that Parvati fans don't like hearing is that I always compare her to the general in Marquesas. He finished in sixth place and was absolutely irrelevant. So I call her the General S. She's the female general. Does she also yeah. have a little sausage? She's. I'm guessing probably not. But yeah. All I know is that I'm the general. Yeah, but she finished in sixth place in Cook Island. She was irrelevant. She was really no point of the storyline whatsoever. So yeah, so I'll always refer to her as the General S just because I know that drives Parvati fans crazy. However, but, but what we can say is that Parvati will never wear bloused pants and like a ruffled denim doublet to Final Travel Council. I mean, that's all the general. <laughs> no, definitely. But I will say, so you know, as as much as I I totally agree with you guys that I think Parvati's Cook Islands game is nothing to write home about. But I do think if we're looking at arcs here, if we're sort of pairing it with her Micronesia storyline, I think it does make for a nice kind of story of like, oh, here's this person who came out the first time and completely biffed it. She was a young brat who tried to flirt with guys on occasion, but really when the game didn't work out for her, she became a sore loser for a week. And then when she comes in and sort of like plays a little more quiet, a little more steady. Granted, she gets very lucky on those first few days, but to see her kind of come out in full force, I think that's a nice little like comparison between the two. I know we, we try to kind of segregate survivors, players' respective seasons into separate situations, but I think comparing those two games is a lot of fun to see like, oh, even in the course of a year and a half, she's come back with a new lease on life. Yeah. I would say that Parvati is probably not as good a survivor player as all of her diehard fans think she is, but I also think that she's not as terrible as all of her haters on the internet say that she is. I think yeah. that I, w- I would say that Parvati belongs in the upper echelon of survivor players, but uh, I think you're right. I, but I, I'm never really a person. I <sighs> this sounds really dumb, but I sort of hate lists. I hate it when people are like, who is the best basketball player of all time? Or who is the best survivor player of all time? Or who is the best this random thing of all time? It's like, usually to me, it's not a matter of who's number one. It's There's like a general, you know, uh, pantheon of people that are sort of there. And I, I don't know necessarily. I mean, I would say that you, you would have to have a conversation about Parvati being in that top pantheon of survivor players. I don't know if you could, you if you made an argument and said she belongs there and you gave me a compelling argument, I would say, okay, I'm convinced, and if you gave me an argument saying she's just slightly out of that pantheon and in the next tier down, I would sort of agree with that argument as well. I I haven't fully made up my mind, but I feel like you can have a conversation about Parvati being in that pantheon of top survivor players, but the top? I mean, uh, I don't know. Parvati drives me more crazy to talk about than almost any other survivor, and because I get this, this split dichotomy in my head where, number one, I just... I just don't acknowledge returning player seasons. I don't think they're, they mean anything. I think they're ridiculous. I think they're exhibitions. So I just tend not to even acknowledge returning player seasons and like anything they do after their first time. But at the same time, I have a very strong, strong drive in me to never winner bash because winners get bashed on Survivor so much on the internet that I can't, it drives me crazy. So when people win, they should always be defended. And that's the thing I will not winner bash. So it, it drives me crazy trying to reconcile those two things in my head with Parvati in particular because. I can't stand that 
you know, she became this legend despite being irrelevant the first time, but then she gets crapped on in, in Micronesia, and I don't think she should get crapped on because she won. And then you get the stuff, well, she should have won Heroes versus, versus Villains over Sandra, which is just horseshit. She still shouldn't have won that season at all. But then at the same time, Jeff Probes is so, you know, obviously sexist about her and just just absolutely, you know, goes on and on about her feminine wiles and how she's a black widow and stuff. And that's not true either to the point that he absolutely negates all her, you know, intellect and strategy as a player that it makes me defend her. So it just... I have a hard time def- uh, talking about poverty because I don't even know what to say. It's like I have so many different opinions on what should be said and what shouldn't be said, so I don't really even know what to say. Poverty is generally pretty good at the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's put a pin on her and address her in you know, 2018 when we get to Survivor Micronesia. And let's just, we'll, we'll just agree and say, like, uh, Cook Island's poverty, not, not great. Not great. <laughs> yeah. Let's go yeah. to the finale. Let's do this. Oh, my gosh. All right. It's done. The first thing I want to point out that Adam Gentry is in the finale of Survivor <laughs> Cookouts uh, for like twenty minutes. <laughs> I wish I wish I would have dug up my. I could just I do I remember very clearly Mario reading your MySpace blog about Cook Islands going into the finale. Oh, no. oh yeah, so, so this was the return of your um, of your fallen comrades. Work, yes, right? yes, yeah. that was great. Yeah, I'd, what did I write about Adam? I don't remember. All I well, remember I writing about Cook Islands was the phone. I, I, what I remember, I don't think you wrote anything about Adam. I remember you brought, they brought Parvati back. Uh, I remember you said to, so that they could put more white people in the in the running to win. <laughs> yes. And then and then you then you made the a joke about how um, the jury was so big that like all these jury members kept coming in. Yeah. And then like pretty soon Christy. there's like yeah there's like hundreds of. Of sur- like every survivor ever, and like I don't know, there was, I think there were some jokes about like Jenna being mean to Christy on the jury and stuff, or she didn't want to sit next to the deaf girl. <laughs> yeah, I do yeah. remember. That. Yeah, it was my Fallen Comrades parody, and I remember half of it was just the jury getting seated because the jury was so big. I do remember that. <laughs> yes, that's a good. That, you should dig that one up. All right, that's on my archives. I have to. Go, I haven't read that in many years. I should go find that again. But yeah, it's. I am. I am shocked when I watched this season that Adam was in the finale because I did not remember that. It's crazy that even in this era, after you finish your All Star stories, we're still talking about your work, Mario. <laughs> I was actually going to bring up a, a Mario entry at the end here, so let's 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 keep going here. Oh no, 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 that's no, good. All right, okay, so we get to the uh, finale, and it's basically four people against Adam, which can only possibly win in an Adam win, of course. Uh, so yeah, so uh, this is where the I two four can finish off their storyline, and they get to the first challenge. It's the spider web obstacle course. They have to gather seven bags, and Jeff says this is the most difficult puzzle we have ever had on the show before. Oh look, it's an Aussie jungle gym. I wonder what's going to happen. Yes. So anyway, yeah, Aussie wins. Aussie wins, and and goodbye, Adam. Uh, and I wrote in my notes, Adam tries to get people to vote Yule and flush out the idol, but no one will. Which I'm kind of surprised why no one does that ever, but whatever. And then, uh, and oh yeah, and then at the tribal council, Nate shows up in a cast, and they never explain it. Probably <laughs> broke his arm after he fell out of the jury box trying to do the Apache dance. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's it for Adam. Was there any? There's no special early show stuff about Adam Paul. Like, were they literally just writing emails to one another at this point? So we saw footage of them writing emails to one another. I think at this point, once they get to at this point at the finale, they just talk to the the runner, the two finalists. So they uh, he doesn't even get to interact with Renee Siler. What a pity! All right, so that's it for Adam. Siler's back. <laughs> no, he does go on to date um, Big Brother contestant Erica Landon for quite a while. For any uh, Big Brother crossover people. 
Do you have Ooh. any final final words about uh, Adam, Mike? I know he was your little pet here. Uh, I mean, here's the thing. I probably personified Adam to be a lot stupider than he was. The fact <laughs> is, he he was like he was actually a, probably a bigger presence on Raro in the pre-merge. Uh, he was like the bigger mouthpiece on a lot of those, on like the JP vote and the Stephanie vote and everything like that. But I mean, his his nickname on uh, Sucks I remember was Ad Dumb A D U M B. He was. I don't think he was like extremely stupid i said in the last podcast he just looks extremely stupid but i thought he was like fine i I could totally see him on like the palau cast on the oolong tribe he totally fits in with like that sort of generic good-looking male type i I like that that was meant to be a compliment and yet you compared him to oolong and palau (laughs) yeah he could easily be jeff wilson yeah fam he's a fan favorite (laughs) i mean not yeah i was gonna say adam's got that big grin when that big, you always have that big slimy grin. It makes you look more sleazy than you probably are. So I think that's the, Adam's problem. Yeah, he has a grin. He can't help it. I, I think you know we probably you know slammed on Adam a little bit more than maybe we 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 needed to. But by the same token, Adam's a guy where you know he won an immunity uh, in 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 post merge. You know, so he's he's clearly capable of winning an immunity, and. He was a presence, but by the same token, it just never felt like he had any grasp of the game whatsoever. And so it's like you, it's like you gave him a, a like a loaded weapon, and then he was like, "Well, uh, I'll throw it in the ocean." You know, it's like it's it's just sort of wasted in in a lot of the things. And it's like we were talking about how you know Penner and Candace thought he had the idol, then they went over there like the Evil. No, and it's like okay, well, I guess let's pretend you have it. And it's like they never, you know they never really thought to really sort of do anything with any of the strategy or sort of alter whatever they were doing. And it just became somewhat of a problem that he just could not problem solve his way out of it. So this big, strong guy just floats his way to five and gets voted out unceremoniously. It's just what happens. I do need to point out that again, if I too had not had their big comeback, had the producers not helped them out a little bit to make sure I too came back, Adam very easily could have won this season. Oh yeah, absolutely. So let's, yeah, yeah, let's all go to bed with that knowledge in our head. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> and, well, I think that's that. That would have canceled the show. Yeah, but I, but I, I think as well. Like you just said, well, if the producers didn't help out, I too. I, I think that again. You just you said earlier as well, Mario. You're like, I didn't think it was that huge of a comeback. But, you know, because I too's got Ozzy, and it's like, yeah, and Raro had Adam uh, and other people that you know. It's like. It wasn't just I2 winning them their way through all of the challenges. It was also yep. Raro losing it. And I think yep. part of that was Adam as well. Yep. No, I totally agree with you. All right. So we are down to the final four. And we have some Which good stuff. the I2 four. The I2 four. Look at that. It happened to work out. And So, yeah, you know, we can... We get the rites of passage here, which I should point out that Becky correctly calls rites of passage. She does not call it fallen comrades. So, you know, big thumbs up to Becky right there. Yeah, but also they're they're doing they they're told they're gonna you know they're they're doing the rites of passage, but it's they're the four of them are competing in the final immunity challenge. So we get the final three drop right here. I thought it happens during the challenge. It happens right before the right before the Jeff, challenge. Jeff, Jeff yeah. describes the challenge and then drops a bomb that it's final three. Yeah. Although again, what Jeff is Jay is saying is that if if they were smart, they would have figured that out already. Well, this is our final immunity challenge, so it's going to be a final three. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, so the, the final immunity ch- challenge is they stand on a perch that slowly gets smaller. 
And uh, this is, again, when Jeff finally announces the final three, which, again, had never happened in Survivor before. This was kind of a game changer. And, again, it's one of those things you kind of thought at the time, well, okay, they did it once. That was exciting. Now we go back to final two, which, as you know, was not the case. Yeah, so can we, do we want to take the time now to, to, ta- to talk about this twist in general and, you know, what are the theories, where it came from? Because as you outlined that email at the beginning, some people, and we even talked about it in the last Exile Island podcast, about whether... Terry and Sari losing was, you know, a, a start of a sign of people saying, let's rethink this endgame plan, because this is one of the most monumental things that's happened. I think, you know, final twos are only going to happen three more times after yeah. Survivor Exile Island. It's going to be final threes from here on out. And I think it's because it was such an exciting result, even though Becky got shut out completely. Yeah. Again, because there's no way you get Yule against Ozzy in a final two, which that's why it was such a big deal at the time. And I know in the email, they even said that that the, the producer had talked about a final three for a while. They just had never been sure to when to use it. So they said, yeah, I don't think Terry had anything to do with it. I just thought that because this season was kind of different, they decided to throw it in there and see what happens. But yeah, it's, it is interesting how it showed up here and how it did affect the ending here because you got the final two that you would never get in any other season. And okay. again, I, ref- I refuse to call this a final three. It's a final two with Becky. Okay. Um... I guess I'll give my opinions. I, I don't want to take forever on this. Um, fundamentally, I don't love a final three. And I think that probably most of us here, I think, think feel the same way. Um, modern Survivor fans that only know a final three usually like the final three. And then they, th- one of the big problems is, is that what is the only, one of the only final twos other than uh, Kageyan was, was uh, Token Chains, right? Where JT, blowout, yeah. where, where JT beats Steven 7-0 or 9-0 or however. However many people in the jury to zero. And, you know, people are like, see, see, that's what happens when you get to a final two. I feel like this. I feel fundamentally Survivor is about one person getting voted out each time until you get to the final two where, you know, they're voting for a winner. But essentially what they're doing is they're voting out that final person and to get one person remaining who wins the million dollars. And when you get a final three, you're sort of taking away that element of you're eliminating one person. It's like, well, we'll get to the end and then one person will be two people. And I find that to be slightly problematic. Um, but what I can sort of say is, you know, at times I feel like a change up in the format is okay because it keeps players on their toes. So the fact that you institute a final three instead of a final two may wreck some alliance plans or some voting strategy plans because you're sort of geared toward a final two. And then if you have to do a final three, maybe you have to adjust numbers along the ways. The problem is, is that they don't change it up very much anymore. Like now it's just always kind of a final three and it's like the games evolved to, to match it. So it's, it's, it's like everything that I don't like about a final three is now sort of stale and unexpected. And, and so now we're just sort of stuck with this final three and I don't love it. Um, I like final twos also because I feel like that final step, having that tribal council where the one person that wins immunity at the final immunity has to vote for the person they want to go to the end with. I think that is such a, it, it creates tension a lot of times and, and, and sometimes it creates bad. Sometimes it doesn't obviously, but I think for a lot of times that vote is an important one as far as the jury goes. And it's like, we just completely sort of cut that out. And, you know, the argument of, well, the Rob Sesterninos or the Terry Dietzes or the Ceres or people who got cut out of three, maybe they go to the end. It's like a lot of those people get cut out of five or four now. Like the, the game mm-hmm. is sort of it's sort of evolved to cut those really strong people a little bit earlier. It hasn't saved a whole ton of people. It created, you know, the fact that they didn't know it was happening going into the final challenge creates this Yule Ozzy Becky awesome final three 
in in this season, but it's not going to hold for all the rest of the seasons. Yeah, I what I would say is I completely agree with your last point there about how I I can't think of in a final a season that had a final three any sort of interesting final fa- final four round that happened. You know, the, I think the problem with the the having the final four go into the finals is that like you don't it's it's much harder for you to convince like an entire group of people to turn against someone whereas it's probably much easier to go to one person and say okay just vote this one person out and that's why we rarely see you know uh, like survivor samoa for example like it's very clear that once brett lost everyone was going to turn against him it's it's almost impossible to say i'm gonna convince these other two people to turn completely against the person they've been playing 39 days with and so Except for the ones that end in a tiebreaker, they're pretty much all anticlimactic, which isn't a lot of fun. And my other problem with the final three is I would say maybe outside of I'll list off China and Philippines are the two that I have off the top of my head where you can make a case and maybe Nicaragua for a case where like each person could win. You They said like, oh, final three will get rid of goats. But it's really, in fact, added another goat onto the pile, if you will, uh, where, you know, if looking at other seasons, for example, uh, even the next season, it's going to be Earl with two people that does, doesn't have respect from the jury whatsoever. And obviously, Earl didn't know it was going to be a final three. But I feel like it's become, like you said, Jay, people have ac- become accustomed to the strategy now that now they're saying like, OK, let's bring more undeserving people to the end now so we can clutter the final tribal council with even more undeserving people. For me, it just really comes down to the game's not over yet. I mean, the only point there's even a jury in Survivor at all is because there's no ending to Survivor. You just vote people out until you can't anymore. And like, well, what do we do now? There's only two people. They can't vote for each other. Oh, fuck it. Throw in a jury. Like, that's the only reason the jury exists, because there's no ending to Survivor. You have to have someone determine, oh, wait, who wins now when you get to the end? So with the final three, it just always bothers me because the game's not over yet. Like, you could still vote one more person out. Why, why are you just arbitrarily stopping earlier? To me, it's just... Uh, that's that's the thing that's always bothered me about it. it just it it doesn't make any sense. Like, well, why not just stop at final four and end it then? Like, if we're just arbitrarily setting a stopping point, and that's why I always like the final two because I thought the structure of Survivor was perfect. Yeah, people might not have liked the results. The, the favorites weren't always winning. I mean, Richard was never a favorite. Tina was never a favorite. Vesepia was most definitely never a favorite. Brian was never a favorite. Jenna Maraska was never a favorite. Sandra was not really a favorite. I mean, you were not getting popular winners, but. To me, I've always argued that the winner is only kind of secondary to the story. I don't think it's the main point of the story. The story is the journey. How do these people get there? Who survives and why? So, like, to me, I don't think, okay, well, we applaud the winner is necessarily something you needed to have in the season. In fact, I think those final three votes where you voted out Sesternino, you voted out Kathy in particular, you voted out Rudy, those were just gut-wrenching episodes that everyone remembers. I mean, that's that's the point of Survivor. It gets heart-wrenching and heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching and gut-wrenching and nasty and nasty and just horrible. And by the end, like it gets down to three and you're voting out someone you've, you've, you've been accustomed to, you've been rooting for for 36 days. I don't think that was a bad thing. I love those episodes. I love the Kathy vote-off moment. I love the Sesternino vote-off. Johnny Fairplay getting voted-off. Those were just big TV moments and I love those big TV moments and I just don't think you get those anymore because the game's not over yet. It's like, you can just grab three people now. Okay, we're going to final three. We never have to turn on each other, and they can make it all the way to the end. And, like, you can have people get to the end without any blood on their hands now, and that's the thing that, mm-hmm. like, Richard Richard had to get past Rudy. He could not take Rudy to the final two, but he had to do it in a way where he'd get blood on his hands but not take a hit for it. And it was just fascinating to see how he got around that. And so there's just so many arguments in my mind for the final two why it's superior. It's just more gripping. It's a better TV product that 
I just can't even understand why anyone would support the final three other than Probst wanting to have more power over who wins the game because he wants a certain type of player to get to the end. But to me, it really can be summed up in the first thing I said is that the game's just not over yet. Like, there's no reason to stop. Like, this is like you have a mile, and okay, we're going to have a mile race. We're going to stop at, at seven-eighths of a mile and award the winner. I'm like, why? Well, because it's better to stop one-eighths earlier. Like, why? There's no, sense, there's no point to that. So that's, that's my argument with the final two is that the final two is where the game naturally ends, and that's when you have to do a jury, and that's the only reason it was there. So I don't know. It's, it's one of those things I've never really accepted Survivor with the final three. I don't understand the arguments for it. I can see why people want it because it's been like that as the norm for so long, and I just always think the audience should have demanded a final two, a return to the final two much earlier because it – this is one of those things that drives me crazy about Survivor. I just cannot handle the argument that the final three is superior because I just don't see that it is. So I actually prefer the final three. No, I'm just kidding. Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Tim, um, just edit Paul out of this entire podcast. Thing. No, just, just, totally just override him with flushes while he's talking. <laughs> I, I, mean, I agree with everything the three of you have said. That's what I've said for the longest time since it came out. And um, just one of the one of the points I always bring up is that I just I love the option of being A or B. I love the element of that you can vote against someone and the default person is the person sitting next to them. And I think that's something that's not really possible when in the final three situation. Um, that you don't get that, you know, just that it's one person or the other. If you don't like this person, well, then you vote for the other person. So that's an element that's missing. Yep. Okay. So this is a wonder, wonderful debate where we all agree on the exact same yeah. thing. Like now that now that that's now that we've all just glad handed each other. Well, well done, good job, everyone. Let's. Yeah, uh, I, w- I, w- I would say we should have hired Kristen instead of Mike, but she would probably argue for final two as well, so it wouldn't have mattered. So Adam's gone. We go in the final uh, the the perch challenge. We talked about that. Um, uh, Oz, Ozzy wins, and so you know Yule is like you know basically Ozzy. You can't vote for Ozzy. Yule's got a hidden immunity idol, so it just seems like it's either going to be Becky or it's going to be Sundra. And they literally, Yule and Ozzy, have a talk, uh, you know, unlike the previous season where Danielle sort of betrays Serene Aris and decides to force a tie with Terry. Um, here we have, you know, we have Yule and Ozzy literally telling each other, well, I guess the fairest thing to do is to just force a tiebreaker. Uh, and so we should literally just, I mean, for all sensible purposes, the show should just cut to that moment, but they have to add in about two more minutes to see like, oh, but will Becky actually use the idol? <laughs> Which you knew wasn't going to happen. So basically, uh, let's just cut the bullcrap. They go to tribal council. It's a pretty boring tribal council as far as the talking goes. And lo and behold, there's a tie and Becky and Sundra get equal votes and then they have to go to the fire-making challenge. And boy, is it a humdinger. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you know what's funny is when I sat down to do the Funny 115, I didn't remember the scene. Everyone is like, oh, the fire-making challenge in Cook Islands is so awesome. you got to write about it. I had no recollection of the scene whatsoever. So I remember watching it. I'm like, my jaw was just dropping. I'm like, I, this is gold. I can't believe I don't remember this. This is one of the most amazing scenes ever where they literally – Run like Sundra literally runs out of matches, which is what like the third different fire making method she's yep. been given, and she runs out of matches. So it gets to the point where only one person is competing because they've gone two hours and nobody can light a fire even with fucking matches. <laughs> oh, it's it's great, God. but yeah, this is one absolutely deserves every bit of love it gets from anyone. This is a great scene. It's just total awkward comedy at its best where Probst is visibly pissed off that Sunder and Becky cannot light a fire. He's folding his arms. He's glaring at them. He's like talking shit to them. He's like, I cannot believe we're still here. Yeah, It's just so, a great scene. So just I'll just recap it very, very quickly. So basically, 
it's the fire making challenge. They're given, you know, various wood and sticks and, you know, uh, the, the kindling and all that sort of stuff. And they're given a flint and steel. So it's basically make a fire, build a fire up so that it burns a rope. And once the rope breaks, you win the challenge. Basically, after an hour, neither Becky nor Sundra could get a fire going with the flint and steel. An hour. And they have shots of probes shit-talking, as Mario said. You have the jury being, you know, like great jury shots of them just being super agitated over there. And they finally, finally, Jeff's like, all right, fine, screw it. I'm giving you both matches. And then they go for like another half hour or so and Sundra runs out of matches. <laughs> oh my god. To yeah. their defense in, in the thing. It was it Survivor Worlds Apart where they yeah. had a fire making challenge with Rodney and uh was it Mama C Mama C. And so and and they, you know, they would like break their flint or they you know messed up a flint and they got like second flints and didn't they go to matches too or yeah, well, to, to also compare it, though, I mean, I feel like the reason why Mike at least said he forced that tie in Worlds Apart was because he wanted them to, like, sort of, like, duke it out and honorably. And he also said, which is the case with Becky here, that the person who wins is also kind of going to kind of be humiliated that they spent so long trying to make a fire. And that's if Becky had any sort of credibility going into this final tribal council, that got completely lost here because she showed how pathetic she is at one of the core survival elements of this game by spending two hours to barely get a flame lit yeah i mean you're right there is that you know we we've given becky a lot of praise i feel for as much as we have in these these two episodes of survivor cook islands in the sense that she was with yule making strategic decisions i'm not saying becky wasn't a player in this game becky was a player but the problem is is that she was also with yule who was more present who was more you know he had the hidden immunity idol himself he he did the strong arm plays on Penner. You know, he did the more overt thing to keep the tribe sort of morally going together. And then Becky gets into this fire making challenge and can barely make a fire and beat Sundra, who ran out of matches. And it's like, well, Becky, Gigi, you are not winning this season. <laughs> what would have happened if Becky had run out of matches? They would have given him flamethrowers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Here's a Molotov cocktail flamethrower. Probably what would have happened is Jeff would have, I mean, I, this is the boring answer and not flamethrowers, but probably Jeff would have insulted them more and then probably gave them both another pack of matches. Or I like he, Mike, Mike's, yeah, Mike's answer is better. Or they would have lit the fire and said, okay, keep it lit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They just put a candle on their, on their scene, on their, on their, <laughs> on their little station. Yes, yeah, so, so Sundra is is uh, exiled from the game or eliminated from the game with her lack of being able to light a fire. Very anticlimactic ending for a character you thought probably deserved a little better. Although she really wasn't a major character. So. She, wasn't, she wasn't a major character, but I will say this about Sundra, and it didn't come across always on the TV, but I just thought Sundra was a very important member for. Like, was the you know, person keeping them together with his fear god or sort of strategy. Ozzy would challenge Beast and provider and stuff like that. He was providing strategy, but I thought Sundra was sort of glued to them. You know, as, as, as keeping them all sort of together. And she wasn't totally sold with them, but once the mutiny happened, she was in on the I-24. And I think that she was I think that she was super important as far as keeping them, you know, the, their, them morally with each other. Yeah. I agree with that. She's kind of the heart that they needed. Yeah. Yeah, so the I-24, again, she doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but they're not the I-24 without that fourth. It was Sundra, which she yeah. might not be flashy, but she, she was necessary. So we have our final three. You no, we don't. Ozzy and Becky. <laughs> we have our final two with Becky spectating. 
Well, I mean, this lends credit to your theory here, Mario. We get more Becky shit on here where the, the, the typical breakfast comes on the final day and Becky happens to be off walking somewhere, probably thinking about nonprofit strategies. And Ozzy and you literally talk a lot about like, oh, isn't this ironic that the two of us are the ones having the breakfast? Almost as if we're the final two and Becky is not here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, again, Becky gets way more crap than she deserves, but she's such a non-entity at the end that it's, it's a final two. It's ridiculous to call this a final three. This is the Aussie versus Yule showdown, which, uh, again, and from historical purposes, is a big deal because we've never had something like this since Australia. Two major players like this with completely different strategies at the end. So it was a big deal, but it's a joke to call this a final. I, I will just gloss over this because we can just talk about this sort of in, in broad strokes. Uh, Becky does, you know, her whole thing with the jury is she's basically like, look, I, I, I was honest and I played it with integrity, which is always something people say, and then... You know, she's just like, look, I was there making decisions with Yule too, but she didn't receive any votes. We're going to get there. It's between Yule and Ozzy as we've sort of strategized. And I wrote to you, Mario, at this point, like we, I don't know, you know, how much we knew each other at this point. I'm guessing like not super well. I think, you know, there was that, but I wrote to you and basically said, this is like the ultimate strategic slash social player, which was Yule mm-hmm. and the ultimate challenged guy, which is Ozzy. And yeah. They went head to head and they voted for Yule. And I said, what is this? Is, is this something that we should expect every time or some of the time or not of the time? Like this is this was to me like an ultimate sort of statement. In, in fact, where people are like, you can win the game by just winning immunity challenges. And it's like, well, can you? Because a guy just did and he didn't. Yeah. Well, it's tough because it was a five to four vote. So while I would love to say it was a definitive statement, like it easily could have flipped the other way. Yeah. And it's it's complicated by the fact that Ozzy is not a bad player. Like it's not just he's an idiot that wins challenges. So like, like he had friends on that jury. He won some social votes. So it's one of those things that Ozzy gets a lot of crap over the years. People say he's a horrible player. Like he very easily could have beat Yule. And that's quite an accomplishment if you can beat Yule, because I would argue Yule is one of the five best players of all time, probably. So yes, so that's that's the the question that all of the people had was Yule, the who played you know just an absolutely dominant strategy game, he played an absolutely dominant social game. Ozzy had a good social game, and Ozzy was just you know an absolute challenge beast and did did very well. And it just came down to what it was. Um, uh, was it Nate, Jenny, and Rebecca vote Ozzy as well as Poverty, I think, votes yeah. Ozzy? Yeah, Poverty votes yeah. Ozzy. Yeah. yeah. So basically, the way I wrote it is everybody, all the votes that kind of mattered went to Yule. He got Penner, Candace, Sundra, and Adam, the kind of people that knew what was going on. And then he, So Yule got all kind of votes that mattered plus Brad. Because Brad votes for Yule, but, you know, maybe Jenny's mad because, you know, Yule didn't make an alliance with her, you know? <laughs> like, because Jenny was with Yule on the original Puka Tribe. I don't know. Any any does anyone have any highlights of this final tribal council? It was a I wrote, pretty, it's a pretty bland one. Yeah. I wrote nothing down other than it's fascinating to listen to Yule's thought process. I like I love the way he thinks things out, but he's not particularly entertaining, it's just interesting. I, I will say that uh Yule probably is the only person to actually deliver on his response to the bullshit, what are you going to do with the million dollars? Or what do you hope to like inspire people after the show? Because I believe, didn't he go on after this to like, work for the Obama administration and yes. actually help yeah. represent yes. like minorities? Yes. yes. Yeah, that dude is legit. Yule is not a joke. Yule is, is fantastic. And yeah. he, does, he does go on there. And that, that's the thing. is we, We've said in tribal, final tribal councils in the past that you know, I, I, always, I honestly, I never really feel that somebody wins it at tribal council. 
as as opposed to you know people lose it at tribal council like you know okay vanuatu chris does you know just an amazing snake oil job of you know schmarming people at tribal council but i feel like people sort of saw that for what it was for the most part i don't think people were like wow genuinely touched by you chris but then you had twyla over there just spitting venom at everybody the whole time and it's like oh well oh okay well, I guess this this tactic is better, right? So I, I feel like, you know, Chris did stuff to win it. I'm not saying he didn't, but I feel like Twyla did more stuff to lose it. I feel like, I don't even really feel like Ozzy did anything to really lose this thing. I yeah. I would just say that, and, and I wouldn't necessarily say that Yule won it at Final Tribal Council, but Yule really did a good job at this Final Tribal Council explaining himself. And, you know, sometimes it was things that people necessarily didn't want to hear, but I feel like Yule... For for lack of a better word, Yule really stepped up at Final Tribal Council and delivered a very cogent piece of of narrative for everything that he did that people could listen to it, digest it, and make an informed decision. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that, you know, as much as I crap on Cook Islands, and I love to crap on it. I just it's a season I love to bash and I don't understand why it's so popular. I will defend it. To my dying day, how awesome Yule is at Survivor. Just watch anything Yule does, how good he is at this social game, the politics and everything. He is so good at Survivor, it's almost not interesting to watch. But you have to see it to see to see how it's done. And Yule's one of those guys, like people always say, you know, you know, he got helped by the idol, you know, his win is tainted. I've I've never bought into that. I mean, I agree that the idol was a was a variable that changed the season, but I still think he would have won anyway, just because I think he was that good at, at politicking and doing stuff like that. And it's one of those things that people say, you know, uh, Yule should come back. I want to see Yule play again. And, and like we said, uh, Yule's one of those guys that actually went out there and made a difference in the community. He works in government. He helps all these non uh, minority groups and stuff. And I always argue, I don't want to see Yule on Survivor. He's got more important stuff to do. Don't bring him back to this show again. He'd let him do whatever he's got to do. It's important. But yeah, I love I, I just I think he's so fantastic as a player. I think the showdown with Ozzy at the end is amazing. For historical purposes, it was great. I'm, I'm thrilled that it happened at least once, that we got to watch these two powerhouses, social versus strategic, actually, uh, to social versus physical, actually square off. So I have nothing bad to say about the ending of Cook Islands. I just wish it was a better season to support Yule and to support that ending. And I mean, as you said, like not to disparage Ozzy too much here, I mean, Ozzy lets his heart out in this tribal council, which I don't know, might have won over a few people concerning that. Again, a couple people didn't know him, but I mean... He's talking about like his relationship with his estranged father. He talks about wanting to go back to school. Like this guy is definitely I don't know if he's if he's playing up the whole charity case thing, but I I'd I have to think that like him wearing his heart on his sleeve in this final tribal council might have gotten him some sympathy here. Yeah. He made a good I mean, first impression. That's important in the yeah. final tribal council. Brad, Brad literally <laughs> says I had a five fifteen second conversation with you once and that's it. Yeah. But again, to say, I keep reiterating this, he became within one vote of beating Yule at Survivor. And I can't think of many people that could beat Yule at Survivor, especially like in a head-to-head jury vote like that. So, you know, give Ozzy all the credit in the world. He came really close to knocking off maybe one of the best players in Survivor history. Yep. And, and, and I will. It's a good ending. And Yule starts a string. I think that, uh, I think that the winners of, the, of, of this season and the next two seasons, Yule and then Earl and then Todd, um, is a is a pretty good string of winners. I think that the only real string that matches it, for the most part, is probably oh, I would say um, uh, Sophie Kim and then uh, uh, Denise. I think that's also a really good murderer's row of winners. So you know, I, all props to Yule, but uh, 
boys, that that's Cook Islands. Anything else here? No, I mean, no, I'll, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm actually, you know, we probably won't talk too much about the reunion, but I am surprised that for a 20 person bloated cast, they actually got to talk to everyone there. What? Uh, it is and possible. They can do that? And in the uh, in the fan favorite vote, you know, we I think we we probably have a memory of Ozzy obviously winning it, but it's a, a, actually a lot closer than you think. So I guess that resonates with the fact that the iTunes in general were very popular, and it wasn't just Ozzy overall. Apparently, Ozzy beat Yule by like less than one percent. Yeah, and again, that does tie into the fact that this has always been a very popular season. It was popular at the time; people loved it. Yule, I should point out, I don't think we mentioned it. He was he was in People Magazine at the time as like one of the sexiest men alive. They do the sexiest man issue every year. Yule was in there, and it was one of the few times Survivor kind of crossed over into the mainstream media after its initial surge of popularity. So, Survivor kind of got a little interesting and big here for a while because of Yule and Cook Islands. This was a big season at the time. And again, to think that it only exists because Probes thought it would be so horrible, that's why he signed on to do it. Yeah, Lol. you know, it's been yeah. it's been really fun to look back and, and go through this and, and engage with the fans and other people talking about it because I feel like, you know, we're I mean, you guys are a little bit harsher on the season than I am, but it's interesting to find people who actually love the season and some people who don't love it that much. Um it was funny that um I have a friend who um doesn't doesn't follow historians or anything, but I just happened to be talking to her last week, and um, she was saying how, yeah, she rewatched Cook Islands for like the third time or fourth time or something. With she was showing it to someone else, and she said, um, she's like, oh, I just love that season. Just every time you go back, there's such great characters. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even say a word. I just said, uh huh. I was like, she- uh, if I really want to debate this with her, I'll send her a link uh, to historians. Does she only have like disc four, five, and six in the collection? Yeah. Is that why? <laughs> yeah, maybe that's maybe that's yeah. part of her uh, recollection. I I didn't give her the first disc. Yeah, it's only ten season. The only ten uh, player up season. I love it. <laughs> I, I have to point out in the finale. I love Ozzy's Christmas sweater that he wears. It's a little <laughs> festive holiday sweater. Well, yeah. I love Seku's song. That was a hit. Survivor, <laughs> come on, sing along now. Uh, I don't know the words. <laughs> It's easy. Just say Survivor a bunch of times. So, so I will say that maybe it's, it's also because getting to talk about this season with you guys. I mean, it's probably still in my bottom ten, uh, but it's moved up a tiny bit. I, I because from, from what I remembered rewatching it beforehand, I mean, I, I, I still think that as as much as the uh, post merge might be better than the pre merge, there is still a lot of talk in that latter half about like, will the I twos do it? Will they do the inconceivable and actually become are they the underdogs and are they going to kill the raros? And when they do, you're like, okay, let's see some more stuff going on, which is why we I felt like we breezed through those final seven and final six episodes. Um, but that being said, I mean, I think, like you said, it's a it's a fantastic result, but I don't know if it was worth getting through a lot. I mean, when like a fifth to arguably a fourth of your cast is that much of a non-entity, I feel like you you need to take a good hard look at yourself. Um, so, I mean, there are certainly elements of this season that I really enjoy, but even looking back on on watching it one more time, it's it still is not great, in my opinion. Well, yeah, I've kind of made peace with it after watching it. I mean, I, I don't absolutely loathe it like I did. I don't hate it like I did All-Stars. All-Stars is the only season I really hate. But like you said, it's still probably in your bottom ten. I would... I would still say it's in my bottom two or three because I can't think of seasons that I would like enjoy less than Cook Islands. So maybe I like it a little more now than when we started before we started, but I can't think of seasons that I like less than it. And something I will give it credit for, and this sort of goes against what I was saying in the sense that, you know, 
most most of the season is is bad. I mean, I would put Cook Island still in my bottom five uh, seasons, uh, probably bottom two or three still. But it does have a couple of comprehensive narrative stories. I mean, the I two four story is a narrative that not only they start very well, they end very well, and they they keep the narrative going, and they it's it's a good narrative. And a lot of seasons just lack any sort of cogent or cohesive narrative uh, throughout the whole thing. So. I guess it has that. I think the problem, though, is I think Mike hit the nail on the head is that people are like, how can you hate Cook Islands? It's got such A-plus characters like Jonathan and Parvati and Yule. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going like, well, Yule, not an A-plus character, A-plus, plus, plus, plus person player. But yes, you do have Jonathan and you have Candace that, that, that comes back. And we have part, this is the, 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 the genesis of Parvati. And, and you have those characters, but it's like, Look at all the other people that were so not fantastic. Like, if you have three or four people who are A's and you have, you know, eight or nine people that are F's, I mean, you're still averaging to, like, what, a D plus, C, C minus? Like, it's not a good cast. Like, even though there are some absolute gems in there, the cast is not great. And I feel like when a cast is not great, that doesn't bode well for the season. Yep. Yeah, and again, it's... I have a lot of people who take it personally when I talk crap about Cook Island, so I kind of tell them, okay, I'll be nice to Cook Island. I won't talk crap about it. Cause people really do love this season. But in the end, it really relates back to that. what we've said earlier is that Survivor is a lot like pizza. When it's from New Zealand, you don't want it. That's exactly. Cook Islands. <laughs> but too, gentlemen, much Vegem- too much Vegemite on it. Yeah. <laughs> gentlemen, I am so excited to get to Fiji. Like, it's not even... Well, so, yeah, so here's the thing. So Fiji, I'm excited as well because, I mean, Fiji... Is probably in my bottom five seasons right now because the first time I saw it, I remember it just being really ugly. Not only the the environment, but just the stuff that was going on specifically pre-merge, and you have those those great Edgardo moments. Uh, but the, even the stuff at the end with the car curse is still pretty ugly as well. And admittedly, I have not rewatched the season. And from what I hear, including people on this podcast, it gets a good amount better on the rewatch. I don't, I don't oh, know if it's, it's reaching so like, good on the rewatch. I don't know yeah. if we're reaching like Vanuatu levels of, of rewatch uh, quality, but I'm really excited to, to have my hopes raised by this rewatch. Yeah, when I rewatched all the seasons for the Funny 115, the two seasons that really improved a lot were Fiji and Samoa. I really enjoyed them the second time. Fiji in particular, because Fiji has a reputation for being very blah and ugly and uninteresting, but there's so many quirky little character moments in there. Just a lot of little stuff you don't really realize or you don't remember until you watch the season. So I, I'm a big fan of Fiji, and I've often said this, that Cook Islands and Fiji have the reputations that the other one has. I mean, they deserve the one that the other one has. Cook Islands is super popular. Fiji has never been popular, and I've often thought they've been flipped because Fiji is actually a pretty good season, and I don't think Cook Islands is that good. So I think they should be flip-flopped, and I'm really excited to talk about it. And I love Yao Man. It'll be fun to talk about Yao Man. It's a lot of fun. I've uh, I started the rewatch um, earlier, and I'm almost done with the season, so I'm probably gonna have to rewatch it again before we actually podcast about it. But it's very, 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 very fun on the rewatch. Hopefully, yes. the early show interviews are just as fun. <laughs> I, well, they only see Cook Islands ruined it for them because they didn't do early show. This last season, they do early show interviews on, and oh, no. they only start um, halfway through the season, starting with the jury. So I am taking notes on those for the second half of the season. I mean, I will. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, you know, there are there are a couple dud characters in Fiji, but there are dud characters, I think, in every season. But I think on the whole, I think the characters are a lot better in Fiji. And I will say this as Survivor keeps adding seasons. I mean, we are past 30 plus seasons. 
uh, now a survivor. And not only that, but but hidden immunity idols are not only here to stay, they are a very integral part of the game as it goes now. And I feel like whenever someone plays an idol in, in, a, in a more current season of Survivor, sometimes there are good idol plays and sometimes there are bad idol plays and stuff like that. But the problem is, is that, you know, recency bias happens. Someone plays an idol and then there's instantly polls on like, was that the best idol play to ever happen in the, in the face of the game? And the answer will always be no, because the Edgardo blindside <laughs> is probably the best missed idol play ever like that that Edgardo blindside that's one of the best things like I'm not again I'm not a moments person I'm more of a narrative person but that that tribe council is probably one of the best moments in the history of Survivor it's so good yeah. it's a combination of a great idol fail as well as an excellent TV edited product the way oh. they edited that scene is so amazing. Yeah, the, the editing is so good and I, I I was talking about it actually with Mike a little bit uh, earlier and I was saying that you know there's a there's a South Korean uh, game show called The Genius that's been out, and I don't want to talk about too much about that, but one of the reasons why I love that product is I feel like their narrative and storytelling and editing is just top-notch, the way they tell a story. And that Edgardo Blindside is very reminiscent of the stuff they do on that show, and it's like it just makes me mad that not everything can be like that. But, <laughs> God, I love that. I love that moment. But I think that the season on the whole is, I, Mike, it really does brighten up on Rewatch. Yeah, it's a good TV product. Again, it, it's, there's not that much narratively interesting about the game. It's just a fun TV product. Although I will say, for, we do, I always try to tie history into this, that you know when they hyped Cook Island, it was the race twist, and everyone was all excited to see what's going to happen, how controversial, dividing people by race. But Probst really hyped Fiji at the time, too. And he was very cryptic in his comments. He would say, this season, Fiji, coming up, has the most controversial decision we've ever had on the show. Someone makes a controversial decision. It was, it was a big thing. It was like how he hyped Pearl Islands by saying the biggest lie in Survivor history is on this season. They really, yeah. Hyped, yeah, they really hyped this car thing with dreams. This, it's, yeah, built, it's even yeah. talked about at the reunion when they're previewing the season yeah. as well. They, they don't talk anything about the have-have-nots twist or anything like that. Yeah. They, say some, they, they reveal something that's going to take place at the, at, in the middle of the finale after 14 <laughs> weeks of watching the show. Yeah. So it's really there. There was a lot of hype for Fiji for that reason. And again, it was not a popular season. People turned on it real quick. It, it did not have the popularity that Cook Islands did. But yeah, there was there was this hype that probes kept holding over your head the entire season, this big controversial moment. And again, it's it's the dreams and Yao Man car thing, which I think is fascinating. It'll be fun to talk about it when we get there, because I don't think it's as cut and dry as it looks on TV. Of course it isn't. But uh, I'm excited, boys. But uh, any more uh, any more things to uh, rip and peppers to Cook Islands before we sign off here? No, fuck Cook Islands. <laughs> I'm done with Cook Islands. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> On to Fiji. I'm super excited. Uh, for- was, I mean, this uh, again. I'll I'll have to say this was you know, admittedly, this is probably the my lowest rated season since Cook since uh, All All Stars. But I mean, this was still a lot of fun to talk about, and I'm happy we we're. I mean, I think there was a lot of stuff to talk about with Cook Islands. You know. Uh, insider emails aside uh, because there was so much that the production was doing and so it was it was I think this was a great opportunity for us to like dive into more behind the scenes things and how and speaking specifically from production perspective why certain things may have worked or may not have worked yep absolutely so uh, any final words on Cook Islands or are we ready to move on to something good I am I have just non-orthogonal thoughts toward DG and ready to get there (laughs) I have a scoot thoughts as well. <laughs> give me that. Give me that lemon tree. 
Oh God, the lemon tree. <laughs> I, have, I have a friend who can do that line perfectly. We have to get, I have to get him to record Yao Man saying the is lemon it, is tree. Is it Yao Man? <laughs> no, it's not. Although you know what, I actually I talked to Yao Man from time to time. I wonder we might be able to line up an interview with him like he did with Chris for Vanuatu. That might be kind of interesting. All right. Um, as for Cook Islands, I think that's it. Uh, as always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I feel like we've been talking about this season for thirty years. I'm Jay Fisher, and I have a uh, insert Cook Islands joke here. I'm Mike Bloom, and putting is sweet, such sweet sorrow, boss. Uh, and I'm Paul Oslison, gonna go get some taters and gravy. All right, thanks for listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, uh, feedback, you can email us at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. So, uh, in the words of Dr. Laura, go out and do the right thing. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. It hurts to leave this early in the game. Jonathan, kiss my ass. You a dirty, stanky, whack fruitcake who sold me out. You sold out our tribe when we brought you in, you trading bastard. So kiss my ass, Jonathan. Other than that, everyone I love, but that's how it's gotta be in this world.